0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
1: Hi, this is bob 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 v v, v v vila And now, it's time for the show, This old Dungeon. The show where Grognards go to get their Grog on.
2: Pretend the two of us, we're gonna get a lot of stuff done. We're gonna kick some ass. We're gonna be awesome.
1: Featuring your hosts.
2: Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter
3: Games and Simulations.
4: Look at this. It's a clubhouse nightmare.
3: Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5E editor for
4: Frog God Games.
3: Somebody here call a carpenter?
4: I'm John Hook, game designer and podcaster. Now to both.
1: This is Luau Lu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years.
4: We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together, we can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it.
1: Good evening, dungeoneers, and welcome to a special holiday uh, session of this old dungeon. Uh, we've got a lot of great returning talent tonight. We've got Mr. Bill Barsh. Hey, all. We've got Mr. Edwin Neggy. Hello, world. And a uh, special guest tonight from the depths of the uh, Mythos comes John
4: <laughs> Hook. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, uh, it's our pleasure. So uh, I I tell you what, I want to get into interviewing you, but uh, there's just no great way to do this without a little bit of awkwardness. So why don't we do a quick round-robin just to catch the the listeners up with what we're all doing uh, currently at the game table or or dealing with RPGs in general. Who would like to start tonight?
3: I'll give it a start here. Um, I have found a a phenomenal online game of Stonehell that I am just enjoying the shit out of. We are playing old school essentials, and uh, I just started um, started this game a few weeks ago. Uh, and we've been playing in like four hour blocks once or twice a week, which is a long time for an online uh, game. But we have this phenomenal GM who's just open to whatever. And you know, you ask a question, he's like thinking about it deeply. Yeah, how would that work? And and then figuring out. Which d6 to roll, and you roll the one, and boom! I don't know. I'm just, I just I have I played Stonehell years ago in our in the Google Plus days, and had a good time, and I'm just really happy to be back in it. So I'm I'm enjoying that a lot right now.
1: Oh, somebody just made a crit roll there. It sounded like
3: I did. <laughs> that was me. Got a twenty.
1: <laughs> All right, or maybe bad. I don't know. It depends on which version you're playing. Um, That's right. So uh, I, I got to ask because we were talking in the last podcast. About doing the, um, I forget how you put it, but uh, the, the French French language
3: uh, it, gaming? It is, it is also in French. I was going to save that for the Holy Grail, but it oh, is in okay. French. <laughs> and it has been a, uh, I've been working my butt off. I've been learning all kinds of vocabulary as, I, uh, as we play through this. And uh, that has also been part of the fun. But mostly it's just been fun to be back in old school land and doing a, a classic dungeon crawl.
1: Very good. And then, do you know much about the the old school essentials as far as a product goes?
3: Uh, I mean, it's I, my understanding is it's basically BX, and it certainly feels like you know any of the zero edition D anD D games that I've played. Um, you know, we're it's pretty simple in terms of uh, rules, and uh, but we have we're we're sort of building house rules. You know, house classes. I'm actually play testing a warlock. And the uh the GM has actually come up with some pretty fun old school feeling ways to make that class interesting uh without uh being complicated. And that's been super cool. Uh but I don't know if you had like specific questions you were thinking about or just So for
1: Christmas I was looking at getting my son uh some sort of role playing game. Uh, he's nine, he's you know, pretty young. We we play a lot of uh Beck Me here in the house and um mm-hmm. uh, I think the older books, one, they're they're so expensive for what you get if you you get the you know originals versus a reprint. But two, they're sure. not laid out real well. They're not real accessible for like the the modern mindset of how you know a book is laid out. So I was looking at getting the the old school essentials, but I'm not sure if there's a difference between the the BX essentials and the old school essentials. I know everybody was raving about the BX essentials, but it looks like it's the same guy, same company. I just didn't know if anyone knew. The differences there, what that's about.
2: It, it is. It's 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 this. It's the same company. It's Necrotic Gnome did it, and they they essentially just changed the name. They I think they wanted to get away from the BX thing. Um, I mean, they grew exponentially. Um, you know, they, they hit the market perfectly, and they got a it's yeah. a great product. Um, but it, it's it, BX Essentials and and old school Essentials essentially identical. I mean, there are some things that They they do. <laughs> I haven't cracked mine open in a while. I think that the new version, they included like ascending and descending armor class, so they have it both ways. I could, I, it, Edwin, I'm, if you've seen a rule book and correct me, that's fine. But I think they have that kind of out of swords and wizardry. So that's one of the things that's a little different, but it's pretty much a BX clone.
3: Yeah, and I think it is like like many of the retro clones, it's better organized, a little bit more yes. self-consistent and uh and way yeah, way easier to digest and and learn to play. It's actually the simple game that we think of it as as opposed to the horribly complex game that it actually was.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah, it's broken
2: down into like I know they their recent Kickstarter they changed things up, but it, you know, it was broken down in like five different books, I think. Um, is, is kind of the method- methodology they used when they they when they represented the rules th- their way, um, which is it, you know I th- a lot of people really like that. It's not my cup of tea, um, but uh, but I think their recent Kickstarter they they did a kind of like what we did. We we did the same thing with the Xbox three years ago, and we just did a player's guide and dungeon guide. And I think mm-hmm. they did something similar to that with the new uh, OSE.
3: Yeah, no. I've been really taking advantage of the fact that I just sort of show up and play, and maybe that's why I'm enjoying <laughs> it so much. I don't it, it, want to
2: it, worry about it. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of those old classic D and D systems, right? You can't exactly. Just,
3: yeah. And it's a lot of the. I mean, I feel like there were a whole mess of of house rules that sort of came around five, six years ago, as you know, when sort of the old school D and D stuff was really was really hot. You know. Uh, well, you can you can choose to have two weapons and have plus one to hit, or you can have your shield with plus one armor class, or you can have uh, a two-handed weapon and have plus one damage. And like so, a lot of those, you know, we haven't gotten uh, sundered shields in yet as a house rule, but it sort of just feels it just feels like home. I don't know. That's great. Yeah, and I don't I don't have a strong feeling for how much is house rules and how much is published but what i've been reading of the actual rules which is minimal because i pretend like i know them uh but like the spell descriptions and stuff are still uh open to interpretation like there's a lot of room for for creativity in them
1: good deal uh bill you want to tell us what you're up to uh
2: as far as actual gaming i'm really not up to anything right now, it's the, kind of the time of year for me where uh, work is really real-life work, real busy, and then our, our pace at our end is, is we're trying to close out our year, too, so I'm just swamped with that. So my gaming life is relegated to actually work. <laughs> so we're, we're wrapping up um, uh, our last Kickstarter that we did, Endless Encounters. Um, that's kind of going through uh, final editing and that kind of thing before it goes off to our real editor and, and layout. Uh, people, uh, I think all the art's done. Uh, ben, my son Ben handles a lot of that end of the, the project now. Instead of me, I just do a lot of writing, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and then we're we're getting ready to launch another one uh, right after the first of the year. So um, we decided to kind of go back. I mean, Pace Center, we've been around now 13 years, 14. It'll be 14 coming up. So what we decided to do is we're kind of doing like a year one, year two, year three compilation books. We, Cause we usually do about four, five, six modules a year. So what we decided to do is, uh, take our first five modules from the first year we we're in business and, uh, put them in a book, uh, compile them. Uh, we're going to pre- present them in, uh, D and D five E, uh, which they were never done in that. And then, uh, BX, they were, so they were, they were going split Our first three modules, were BX, and next two are AD and D. but we're just going to make them all straight, basically BX, uh, or BX clonable um, for that Kickstarter, and then we got some STL file miniatures that we're doing for the first time, so we're, we're staying busy with all that,
1: Yeah. I cool, guess. wow, uh, yeah. not to put you on the spot, but what, what are the first five modules you guys did?
2: So the first one was Thing in the Valley. That was a big one. That's got actually a big story behind it. funny we are we talking about this BX stuff, that was actually purchased by TSR back in like 1983. Um, and uh, they never printed it because they canceled BX. Um, so I just decided to self-publish it about when I first started to pace it again. So Thing in the Valley is the first one. Uh, the Screaming Temple, uh, Eruptor's Vengeance, Lost Caravan,
1: and
2: The Vampire's Curse.
1: The uh, the thing in the valley, that's the one that uh, you were telling me about at the convention that I picked up, and actually going into my segment, <laughs> uh, I've been really hitting things hard trying to get my Kickstarter for the Seekers of the Uncanone, the SCC yeah. property. I've been trying to get all that done, and I, I came to a point where there was nothing more I could do. I was waiting on the editor and the printer, so I... I took my backlog of gaming stuff and read through it. And uh, I actually got a chance to read that module. And that is a phenomenal module.
2: Well, thanks. It's, it's a sentimental favorite of mine for sure. And, um, it's, it's actually out of like the five that I listed, a couple of them are, we keep in print off and on, but the thing in the Valley has been, we've kept that in print for 14 years, never stopped. Cause it's it just always, it still sells. It's crazy. But um, I appreciate your kind words. Um, it's it's definitely it's you know it's our one of our flagship products from way back in the day for sure. Well, yeah, it's it's just got so much
1: going for it as far as like I, I like it because it's kind of a, a mid-sized module. You know, it's not like overly yeah. long. You can play it in a couple sessions, and it's uh it's got that nice ambiance of kind of a, a, a melancholy area, like a sleeping hollow, like that kind of feel where you know there's these mm-hmm. people that are just overshadowed by the the, the Thing in the woods, as it's called, the the the, the I don't know what, what what do you call it, a greater wrath or a wraith. I it, it's a greater yeah. wraith. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got almost a, a Lord Soth kind of feel to that character and everything. It's, it's just perfect, man. Hit it out of the Thank park.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we I'm I'm it's it's one of my babies for sure. I mean, I love everything I do, right? I and mean, we all do, but that one's that one's got a special place. And uh, I'm glad you like it, and hope you you know enjoy playing it. You'll have some fun with it, for sure. I, I know that people... Uh, uh, there's some fun encounters in there, for sure, for the DM and the players. So, Alright, so
1: John, it's your go. <laughs>
2: oh my god.
1: <laughs> uh, just, uh, if you want to talk about what you've been doing in gaming lately.
4: Uh, okay, gaming-wise, yeah, I have been... Well, I'm, I'm in two games pretty steadily right now. So I'm a player in Horror on the Orient Express, which is a oh. classic Call of Cthulhu campaign.
3: So have you never I've, run that, John?
4: I've never run it. I've never played it. I have never read it? I've never, I haven't read it. I That's know, amazing. You, That's awesome. That must be so much fun. Yeah, I know some of the things, you know, a little bit. Uh, but I don't know anything in any great detail whatsoever. So, And that game's actually being played on the uh, Into the Darkness uh, podcast oh, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So people can watch me as my character, Dr. Edison York, uh, <laughs> as I go stark raving mad. Uh, awesome. But we're still in Paris right now, so it's very, very early on.
3: There's something so fun about finally exploring a classic, like something you've heard about for a decade or decades, mm-hmm. and like finally getting to play it or read it or whatever it is. There's something really cool about that.
4: That's awesome. I, I agree because uh, you know we, we just started horror and we just concluded uh, where I was keeper and I was running the classic campaign Spawn of Azathoth and it's not as well, well known it's not as dynamic uh, it has problems but I was <laughs> I was fixing it you know I was making my own changes and updates to it and everything as we were playing. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. It took us a year to play it. Uh, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So that's also on the uh, Into the Darkness podcast on YouTube. So you can see that whole campaign there. But I'm a player in that game. And then I'm uh, the Game Master. Uh, I'm running uh, for Swords of Wizardry, the uh, the camp or the the scenario, I guess, or whatever, but the mini-campaign, uh, In the Shadow of Tower Silver Axe. you guys heard of that? have not. I, it was written by Jacob Fleming, and it was written uh, for uh, designed to be run with old-school essentials, uh, mm-hmm. but I think this was written for one of those uh, ZineQuest Kickstarter uh, things that Correct. were going I, Yeah, That's yeah. One. Yes, and uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so uh, Jacob designed a uh, a really tight sandbox region, and uh, and the region is known as oh what is it known? As, uh, the the Gem Throne Wilderness, and it's a uh, it's like this valley surrounded by mountains with a super deep, thick. Forest in the center of this uh, valley, and the forest is known as the Labyrinth of Shadows, which I find such a cool name. I wish Labyrinth of Shadows was the name of the of this whole campaign yeah, thing. Yeah, but... no, and
3: that's such an awesome like that gives me such great visuals of like yeah. exploring a labyrinth of shadows. Like it's better exactly. than a Hall of Mirrors. Way yes. better than a
4: Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you about all the mirrors here in a second. So, <laughs> so, so I'm running this uh, this uh, campaign thing, uh, Shadow in the Shadow Tower, Silver Axe, and you know it's a it's a sandbox and it's got a you know like I don't know a dozen small dungeons all throughout it, but there's so much room that a game master could just really add in as much stuff as they want, and it should fit just fine in there. So, uh, I had the, we're really early in this, uh, campaign of, of this. So I had the characters, or the players, their characters, um, have journeyed to this valley. So none of them are, are native to this valley. They all came from the east. They came across this big, great plain of like wheat or whatever. I was kind of thinking about Kansas, since I live in Kansas and traveling to, Uh, Colorado how you've just got these flat plains and then there's a mountain range so I kind of pictured them crossing this great golden plain got into the mountains and now they're in this gem throne wilderness they're brand new to the region they're going to explore everything and so far everything that they've done and touched uh, I've added into the campaign to include I added a uh, like a traveling carnival on the roadside now I figured I would just kind of basically ad lib, you know, bits and pieces of the carnival, but I planned and prepared the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> I, I, I I found a, a small maze map online and I modified it, you know, through Paint, right? Because I don't really have any, you know, artistry skills for computer stuff, right? So I was just using Paint, MS Paint, and I was like. Putting little stars on and saying, okay, here's a statue, here's a statue, right? And I was, I was filling it with these little statues and stuff. And I had this whole plan about, you know, them going through the Hall of Mirrors and how the monster, you know, the statue monsters would attack and everything. They get to this uh, carnival and they're like, well, what's here? And I said, oh, there's a food court and there's some, um, you know, carnival games and um, there's a, they go, are there freaks? And I was like, damn, why didn't I think of that? And I go, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a freak. Uh, tent over there and there's the hall of mirrors and they're like oh right. and i also put a i put like a kitty uh, uh 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 mine cart you know that these strongmen would like push the minecart up a short hill and then it would just kind of roll down again you know kids could <laughs> ride that ride,
1: yeah. <laughs> and of
4: course the halfling rode that a few times <laughs> i'm like all right fine you're short enough to ride in the minecart. <laughs> So, you know, some of them went to go eat. Some of them went to go do the the strength and dexterity skill test things, you know. And then they're like, we want to go into to see the freaks. And I'm like, okay. And so I, I ad-libbed all that. They did everything in the carnival except for the Hall of Mirrors. They're like, well, it's getting late. We're going to hit the road. So we're, <laughs> cause they were trying to get to a different destination. I'm like, you motherfuckers. Uh, all right, fine let's just hit the road. So (laughs) the one thing I prepared for, they didn't do, right?
1: That's players.
4: That's players. What are you going to do? The curse of every
2: (laughs) dungeon master or game master. Yeah.
4: Yeah, But it was fun, you know, and and then, uh, and I'll tell my players afterwards, I'll be like, I hope you guys had a good time. I didn't plan for any of that. I didn't have anything written down there. We're like, no, it was great. We Had a blast. The freaks are hilarious, and you know, had a small fight in it in the in there and everything. And da and, and then they uh, we ended the session, and I was like, Yeah, the only thing I planned for is a Hall of Mirrors. So They're like, Yeah, it just didn't seem like fun for us. They're like, Well, now <laughs> I know. Okay, keep that in mind. That's going to show
3: up in the bottom of some dungeon at some
4: point. They're not going to have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just move that hall of mirrors somewhere else. Oh, guess what? There's a hall of mirrors in here now. Ah, shit. (laughs)
0: All
4: right. That's it. Yeah, just playing those two things. Playing in one and running the other.
1: On top of playing games, I mean, obviously, you've got quite a bit going on uh, as far as the game industry goes. Writing, and I think I saw that you had some art credits uh, in a few books.
0: Uh, Yeah. yeah. So,
1: uh, I mean, I I don't know where to begin because uh, this list is literally (laughs) over half a page printed here. Uh, So let's begin at the beginning. How did you get into the industry? What's some of your most early projects that you worked on?
4: Uh, So I've always loved gaming. You know, grew up uh, when... D and D was brand new, right? I got my uh, Holmes Basic box set for Christmas in '78, and uh, you know, with a lot of older gamers, uh, had that period where I wasn't gaming, but then came back. Well, after I graduated college and kind of, you know, uh, married my wife and I moved to Kansas City, I, you know, kind of getting into my hobby stuff, and and I. Thought I could be an artist. At one point in time, I thought I could be an artist. Figured out the hard way. I'm not a very good artist. I'm, I'm just I can draw boogers, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm passable with my booger art, and that's fine. <laughs> so then I figured, you know what? I have got this 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 need for creativity. I'm going to channel it into words instead. And I'll just try and be artistic in words and describe things. So I started writing comic book uh, scripts and so me and my buddy my best friend who we were in the army together we went to college together he introduced me to my wife I mean just he and I are super tight for now going on 40 years I think and um, and so uh, he and I started writing comic book scripts and everything and and that was fun for a while and we did that from you know I don't know 99 until uh, you know 2008 or so and we did a few you know small press self-published comic books it was fun Uh, but that really ended up being more of his passion and and he still writes comics to this day Um, you know indie small press comics but at around 2009 um, I was really getting back into role playing pretty heavily and I was like man I really love role playing and I and I always created my own adventures even when I was a kid and I was getting really pretty heavy into uh call of Cthulhu back then. Well, call of Cthulhu at that time, um, kind of had a, a fairly regular annual contest where at the holiday time you could write a, uh, holiday themed adventure or, you know, something like that and send it in. And if it, If it was successful, if they liked it, they would publish it in a monograph. They they called them monographs back then. Or they had a line of monographs that they were doing. And uh, as it happened, I was accepted in all of the monographs that I submitted to.
1: All right, give us the number. Give us the number here. (laughs) Give us the number. How
4: many? You know. Well, it was four. I'm four, in four okay. monographs. <laughs> um, two of them are Call Cthulhu based or, you know, Call Cthulhu centric, and two of them are, um, uh, basic role play centric. So Chaosium has their, their basic, you know, generic role playing system called BRP, Basic Role Play. And so I've got two in each. Uh, I can't remember the names of them now. I mean, it's been, so oh, many
3: God. works over so, so many years. <laughs> I mean, at, at the
1: point that you hit all four of the competitions and, and got in, did they start approaching you with, with projects, or, or were you still kind of looking to do work at that point?
4: Well, so um, I, I would always approach them. Uh, I guess there's been a couple of times where I've been asked to join in something. Uh, but for the most part, I always will. I'm not shy. I'm not shy. I'll just reach out and say, Hey, do you have room for another author in that? Right? Uh, so I, I submitted the works, you know, for these contests and, and I got into each of those. And at that time, um, I noticed Goodman Games had a license from Chaosium. They were producing licensed adventures. Um, and I thought that was really kind of neat to kind of be there, right when something was starting, you know, at the beginning of a licensure kind of thing. And so I was collecting the uh, Goodman Games uh, uh, Age of Cthulhu Adventures was was the name of their line, and uh, and so I sent I unsolicited, I just sent an email to Goodman Games, which. Boys and girls, I I do not recommend this. This is not the professional way to do it. But I, I didn't know any better, um, <laughs> so I just sent an email to Goodman Games, and uh, and I pitched an idea. And as it happened, uh, the respondent was Joseph Goodman himself, and so he saw the idea and he was like, "Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Why don't you you know write this up a little more fully? You know, give me another pitch, but you know." Make it this pitch, but just give me more info on it. And, uh, cause I was just basically doing an elevator pitch. He really wanted to see if something more fleshed out. So I reworked it, sent that to him. And he was like, yeah, this is, this is okay. We, we would do this. And, uh, sent me an actual contract. This was the first time I actually got paid to write, mm-hmm. it was from good, was from Joseph Goodman for Goodman Games and this Age of Cthulhu line. And so I wrote um, Age of Cthulhu, ended out being Age of Cthulhu 7, 8, and 9, the last three modules in that uh, licensed series. He killed so, the line. He killed the Well, <laughs> to be fair, the Dungeon Crawl Classics series for them is doing gangbusters. It's way okay. Yeah, it's way okay. And I was just so hoping to get to a ten, because, you know, the number ten, you want to end on a ten, right? Yeah. <sighs> we couldn't nice do it. Round. Couldn't do it.
1: What? Uh, I don't know much about their line. Was there any nuance to it? Was there any reason they called it the Age of Cthulhu, uh, other than to distinguish themselves from the Chaosium products?
4: Actually, that's a great question. So, yeah, the name itself was just to you know, be different, Age of Cthulhu. But the 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 tenant behind the Age of Cthulhu line was they had to be international. Or they had to they had to at least not be set in Lovecraft Country. Because uh Joseph felt like there's so many adventures already set in Lovecraft Country in New England that he wanted these to be uh, Published, or you know, the adventure should be more worldly and be set outside of uh, Arkham, outside of Lovecraft country. So, uh, my first adventure with them, uh, which was Age of Cthulhu 7 Timeless Sands of India, was set in, wait for it, India. Um, no. I, well, it, no it was a secret. It was a secret. I you gave mean it away Afghanistan,
1: in right? Or, or Pakistan right, or, exactly,
4: no. exactly. So that was a ton of fun. And, uh, and then I did one uh, that was set in... Uh, actually, I forgot. <laughs> Let me look here. In a faraway land.
3: So I think I played in Timeless Sands, John, before I actually knew you at all, which is kind of fun yeah, because I ran it for Scott Cthulhu. Yep, exactly. Uh okay. I had no idea, like, who you were or anything else, and I was just, like, it was just like, I think it was one of my first games with them, probably.
4: Oh, wow, really? Okay. Did Did you like it? I did. Oh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still uh,
4: with them, so, you know. Ego. My ego isn't going to be bruised today. Oh, thank you so much.
3: Well, not, not yet. We'll
4: save that for later. <laughs> not yet. Give it time. Give it time. Give it time. Yeah, we still got to uh, keep credit. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to get in, totally embarrassed and keep credit, so that's fine. Um. So, Time of Sands of India was seven. The second one that I did, uh, number eight, was uh, Starfall Over the Plateau of Lang. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was fun because I, I like the Dreamlands. And so this one involved uh, a lot of uh, adventuring in the Dreamlands. Uh, and then um, uh, the last one, number nine, was The Lost Expedition. And that one is on a on a different planet. So you go to, through a portal and transition to a different planet uh, where there's mutant dinosaurs and everything. So... That was neat. A lot of fun, and and I got my first international uh, publication through Goodman Games because of the Age of Cthulhu. Um, I guess. Uh, hold on, just a sec. Uh, everything's within the arms reach here. Um, so, uh, Sans de Tour, the uh, the French uh, yeah. license holder for Call of Cthulhu, they. Uh, wanted to publish some of uh, the Age of Cthulhu uh, material. And their, their publishing is really kind of interesting because in a single hardback book, they published several of the uh, Age of Cthulhu adventures. So they did uh, one, which was a, a small adventure that I did as like a Kickstarter expansion called... Um, Transatlantic Terror, which was a fun adventure where all the players are blue bloods traveling on a boat from um, New York to Liverpool, and uh, there's something nasty going on on the boat there. Um, they did Timeless Sands of India, and they did uh, Starfall over the Plateau of Lang but they kind of broke it up because In that adventure, Starfall over the Plateau of Lang, you start on Earth, and then you transition to the Dreamlands. Well, the portion on Earth, because we didn't want to have it set in Lovecraft Country, I had it set in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And so... They pulled that section out. Sans de Tour did. They pulled that section out and made it to its own little section in this book. So you can just have the, the Hot Springs, uh, Eureka Springs. I mean, Eureka <laughs> Springs. is an
1: adventure like on its own,
4: huh? All on its own. <laughs> uh, and then they had the Plateau of Lang. And then they did uh, one uh, from Brendan LaSalle, um, his uh, adventure, which was another Age of Cthulhu. Um, I forget the English name. I'm sitting here looking at the. French here, but it's uh, it's uh, in Japan. The the Japan uh, scenario oh, yeah, here. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Shoot. What's it in French?
4: Uh, Un Réveil du Japon.
3: Dream of Japan. Dream of Japan.
4: Dream of Japan. So, uh, all of that got uh, printed in a, uh, a sans-de-tour book. Uh, so, I thought that was really kind of cool. I've got my first Uh, foreign language edition published. So, that was neat. Very cool. Well, it's, (laughs)
2: uh, from my perspective, it's a huge feather in your cap because the, so I don't know how much you've talked to Joe Goodman after you started working with him, but Joe is, he is one of the most hands-on publishing owners there are. Uh, He, he really oversees everything. and, And, um, because he he wants um, quality product, period. So to, to make it through Joe's crucible is, is awesome
0: because oh. he, uh,
2: that's that's kind of why he jumped right in with you. I mean, clearly he saw your ability and what you were all about. Um, but he's also going to want it, – it, it. I was chuckling to myself. I had to mute it because when, when you said he asked for a, a more detailed – you know, outline of what you want to present. I mean, that's exactly how he is. He he's going to want to see everything before it's done. Um, and it, you know, it shows. I mean, Goodman's products are all fantastic.
4: I love everything you do. But um, yes, I love that, everything that Goodman Games does. They're
2: yeah, so that's 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 Joe Joe's most and he is involved. Whether some people w- realize this or not, he is involved in everything that comes out of that company, and yeah. he, he he makes sure he. He sees everything, and uh, you know, and it, it's fantastic because the quality shows, and and your your products clearly are exemplary of of Goodman stuff. And I'm not a big Call of Cthulhu guy; I love it, but I don't get. I just not something I get to do very much of. But I, I did pick up those books, and they're great.
4: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's it was a real honor to be uh, in that stable, and I when I was there, I was able to also write uh, some uh, Dungeon Crawl Classic titles. Yep. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. It was, you know, and I, am still super close friends with, uh, a lot of the writers and artists that he, uh, has working with them. And, you know, uh, if I ever have an idea that would be DCC worthy, I'd love to, you know, pitch it to Joseph and see what he thought. And maybe yeah. He's got it a great, his,
2: it's, the, I love the way you bring that up because they, and not to make this all about opening games, it's not obviously what we want to do, but, um, uh, he, the, they, the, the goodman community of, of talent is fantastic i mean they're all good people
4: they're just, second, uh, to yep, yeah, second to it, none yeah they second to none they're they're just, amazing
2: i uh, i think that's part of his process right is you can you can have be able to create great product but if joe i hate to be say it this way if joe doesn't like you <laughs> you're you're not going to get anywhere he he, <laughs> he you know he wants it's not just the product; it's the image that his company puts forward, and I think the people who produce his products have to be in a certain mold, which they're not. They're truly really a very group of people, but um, you know where I, you know where I'm going with that. I mean, yeah, he, he looks for a certain uh, image, I guess, as it were. Well, I think
4: it, yeah, it comes through because all the people are just super kind and. Uh, approachable and creative, yeah. and it's just awesome. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they are amazing.
1: While we're in this arena here, uh, you got to work with Michael Curtis, is that correct?
4: I did. I've worked with Michael a couple of times, yeah.
1: Tell me about that, man, because that guy, I, I, everything I've read of his, I just love.
4: Yeah, Mike is the best. Mike is absolute champagne. Uh, I'm, I am I am... Uh, lukewarm beer and Mike is champagne, um, so <laughs> he is he's awesome. So creative, so uh, just so much imagination. You know, Michael came up with the uh, alphabet line of books. Uh, some good stuff, yeah, yeah, some really great stuff. So he he started with the dungeon alphabet,
2: dungeon um, alphabet,
4: yeah, and then he did, uh, and really, I as I understand it. I believe, I think practically everything in Dungeon Alphabet was Michael. I could be wrong, but I believe almost all the writing in Dungeon Alphabet was Michael Curtis. Uh, then we, then he pitched, uh, the Monster Alphabet and Joseph brought in a stable of writers who, who helped pitch and, and wrote some of the entries for, uh, the Monster Alphabet. And I am in the monster alphabet. I did a I did a couple of monsters. I, I forget. it the he's one in that, there under J. He's in there under J. Me. Hey, John, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The the monster that stood out for me that I that I did create uh, was the Ooze Lords. I don't know why. I just thought that was the funniest idea, and so I did Ooze Lords. And I did a few others, but I was like I told Joseph, I go, I got this great idea intelligent ooze, the ooze lords. And he was like, yeah, I like it. Go for it. Write that one up. I was like, (laughs) all right. So I did that one, and then I did a few others. Uh, And then after that, um, it was actually uh, artist Brad McDevitt who had the idea for the Cthulhu alphabet. And that was a really big, fun project. But it was funny because we have this large, stable... Of writers who are contributing to the Cthulhu alphabet, and we had a whole series of of you know emails going on. We weren't using um, like a like a centralized social media platform like Discord or something or Google Plus at the time. We were just using email, and uh, so we had this uh, giant thread of email. Emails going back amongst everybody, oh, wow. and we had and we had fairly evenly or roughly evenly divvied up the alphabet, and so everybody was doing you know four or five monsters right throughout the alphabet, and just as as things happen, as life gets in the way, um, some of the writers were. Unable to finish the commitments that they were working on, they got one or two monsters, but uh, there was another Dungeon Crawl Classics module, or or a convention was coming up, and they were going to be organizing, you know, the tournaments and things that were going on, and so deadlines were starting to slip. But because it was Cthulhu, and it was totally in my wheelhouse. I was just banging these monsters out, right? I was, I was zipping. I got through my entire portion that I had committed to. And, and so as, since we were all part of this email chain and these guys are like, oh man, I got this one and this one done, but I'm not sure if I can get to this one. I, I was just replying going, hey, I can pick it up if you want me to. Yeah, go ahead. So I ended up doing that five, six, seven, eight times when it was all said and done, half. Of the Cthulhu alphabet, I wrote, <laughs> and uh, and then Michael wrote a bunch, and all these other guys. They all they all helped contribute, and it was it was funny because Michael is just such a sweetheart. When he and I and Joseph were in a conversation, and we we're we were talking about you know how to credit the book, you know, on the cover, and uh, and Michael's like, well. John did the work. He needs, his name needs to be first. And I'm like, mm, Michael, I, I really appreciate that, but I was trying to think about it from a sales perspective. And I was like, I told Joseph on this call, I said, Joseph, I, I go, it's your call, but I actually think the book might sell better if it's Michael Curtis and me. And other, you know, and the rest, you know, and other writers, right? And that's how it's that's how it's credited. It's uh, you know, Michael Curtis, me, and others, and, uh, and I think that was the right way to go because I think that really is going to help um, solidify and unify that line of uh, of alphabet books. But it was really fun to be a part of that. So I love everything DCC. Just can't get enough of it.
1: Sure, it's been. Uh, I've been doing third party licensure with them here recently, and that's been a dream. I mean, they make it so easy, and they're so uh, personal, like you said. I mean, you ask them a question, and, and the person that needs to answer it talks with you directly. You know, they don't uh, don't monkey around or keep you waiting on anything. They're great people.
4: Yep, totally. It's a Goodman Games love fest for sure.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> So uh, there's a lot on this list, but there are a few titles that I just, I got to know uh, what they're about because they're just such cool titles. Um, there's one in here called The Night Door.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, uh, Chaosium, uh, as several other companies are also doing on drive-through RPG, is they are supporting um, amateur writers – by allowing them to create, uh, adventures that use their rule set, that use their monsters, and you can, you can self-publish it as a PDF on DriveThruRPG and you can sell it. You get a portion of those sales as well as DriveThru gets a portion and Chaosium gets a portion. Um, but as the author and the creator, you get half, right, and and you can divvy it up however you'd like if you bring in other people to help you, you know, like a, a layout artist or you know a graphic artist or you know whatever you whoever you bring in to help you, you can split up you know those portions of the fifty percent however you want. And so the night door uh, was one that was actually the first one that I created for uh, the Miskatonic Repository on Drive Through RPG. And actually, I think, I think my uh, adventure, the Night Door, it would have been one of the first dozen or so, I think, that were that were initially published on it, um, or the first dozen titles, because Chaosium uploaded like six things, but those six titles that they uploaded, they were actually tools. There were things like um, templates and things like that on how. Amateur writers can produce and make these PDFs. So the Night Door was was an adventure that I wrote for the Miskatonic Repository. It was my first one that I put out there, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. It's uh, set in uh, what what is known as or what people call Lovecraft Country, which is the New England area, uh, usually Massachusetts, Vermont. Rhode Island you know that kind of thing um, and, and it may or may not involve uh, uh, some of the fictional towns that uh, Lovecraft uh, created like Arkham, Innsmouth Dunwich but it could also have you know authentic real places like you know Boston Providence New Haven Connecticut I mean whatever right it's just you know in that New England area and uh so yeah, I set uh, I set uh the night door in uh Vermont. I found an area in Vermont that I thought would be kinda neat and came up with this uh lore about a a stone that but when you look at it it it, it is enchanted to look like the night sky. So they uh but it's a it's a doorway, so it's, that's the night door. You're trying to find the night door and get through it. To uh, to stop a creature that's awakening back behind it, so that's fun. I like it.
1: Yeah, I like that title. It instantly, to me, uh, had this like vibe of like one of those uh, you know '70s '80s horror anthology tel- uh, television shows. You know, kind of like
0: uh, <laughs> I guess the Night Gallery
1: and, and right. the, like, Tales from the Dark Side and all that kind of thing. It just had a had a hook to it just in the title. I liked it.
4: Yeah, thank you. I like that. It. it was fun, I, and that was the first time I worked with uh, uh, a graphic designer and layout artist, uh, Daniel Carroll, out of Australia. And uh, he is great. He's really you know great at doing uh, graphic art and layout and everything. So he's been a super great, helpful person for getting these put together. Because I I have an art degree. I have a legit college art degree that I just can't use i just don't know how to do anything with computers artistically uh all my art is just you know done by hand
1: as it should be
4: <laughs> as it should be
1: I, I say this because i'm not an artist but i'm a monkey around with the computer to, to make art uh out of what the computer can do <laughs> but
0: yeah
1: uh, <laughs> uh, it's I, I got a lot of a lot of respect for your uh you true blue artists man it's uh I, you know, practice a long time, and I still can't hardly draw a straight line. So,
2: Jeez. I'm the same way. Like I can't draw a straight line. I mean, let alone think about any sort of illustration.
3: <laughs> As an engineer, yeah. I use a straight edge. I don't see what the problem is.
4: So. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. still have problems. <laughs> Once upon a time I thought I will get a career in comic books I will be a comic book artist What I failed to realize Is you have to be able to draw The same people the same way Over and over again At different angles <laughs> Or you have to draw them So that when you're viewing All these different panels From one to the other You're telling a sequential story It's actually It has a name It's called sequential art and I discovered I have a black hole in my brain where I cannot create sequential art. I can do a single piece, sort of, kind of, <laughs> every now and then. But there's no way I'm going to be able to draw that dude the same way twice. So,
1: Oh, man. We uh, probably need to get close to the end of the segment. Uh, guys, if you got anything, please jump in. I know I, I, I definitely want to touch on Orcus because that was a uh, – a huge thing in the RPG industry last year coming out before Christmas, the Orcus on thirty fourth on the 34th level, or on, does that have the the it? Orcus on 34th level. Or,
4: yeah, just Orcus on 34th level.
1: I know everyone was talking about that come last year about this time, um, but before we get into that, uh, Edwin and Bill, did you, did you guys have anything?
3: I hear, uh hours upon hours of John's dulcet tones editing Modern Mythos for him, so I'm, uh, I am... I will save my questions for him for later. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm good to move right on.
1: Alright, so... Uh, and I also want to talk about your, your current project uh, projects, uh, but um, tell us about Orcus. I know that was from Frog God, right?
4: Yes. Yeah, so uh, Edwin works with the uh, Frog God uh, people, and actually... It was, uh, Edwin and I, we were, uh, both attending, um, a convention in Providence, Rhode Island in 2019 called, uh, Necronomicon. It's a, uh, uh, a Lovecraftian, uh, centric convention for both literature and gaming and film and just all kinds of, you know, art, anything, uh, Lovecraftian and, you know, Cthulhu mythos related It's uh, it's all it's all part of that, um, and so when we were at that con, we were at a dinner, we were drinking and having a good time at this bar, and Edwin uh, first asked me about doing a uh, a holiday themed uh, scenario, and you know when I think about other adventures that are kind of like that, right, where they they uh, they spin. On a holiday theme, they always seem kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, Gonzo, just fun, right? Just you know, Absolutely. wacky fun. So when we were at that con in 2019, I said, "Well, if I want to, if I'm going to do this, I'd, I'd love to do just the most ridiculous holiday that I can think of, which is Arbor Day." And he's like, "Go ahead." And I was like, "All right, I will." And so I started writing it, and I ended up writing something that was—I don't really think it's Gonzo at all. I mean, I did put—I did put a mimic in it that uh, I made like an elder mimic, so it's super old and it's super intelligent. In fact, it leads a band of uh, of gnolls. And, um, uh, and I twisted its powers, you know, it's, it's glue powers a little bit differently. Um, so I made it, you know, barely gonzo, but when I started getting into it and writing it, it didn't, it just naturally came out as a, you know, I don't know, hardcore or just, you know, a, 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 a more of a serious tone adventure in my mind, uh, and I was really surprised at how that how it just kind of came out of me like that. Uh, but it was fun to write, and so uh, and you know I guess it did okay for uh, for Goodman. And so then like a year for later, God or for Frog God, <laughs> pardon me, yes, Goodman <laughs> on the brain for Frog God. I'm all for, the,
3: I'm all for the Goodman Games Love Fest,
4: but you know I got to draw <laughs> a line somewhere. Exactly, draw it, <laughs> put the line in the sand somewhere. <laughs> um so yeah, I think it did well for uh, for Frog God. And so they uh they asked me if I would be interested in doing a follow up to the first uh Orcas holiday uh module. And I was like, yeah, and I was really excited for this. And uh and it just I was just thunderstruck uh by by the by the idea for this. Um as soon as Edwin asked me, and he can attest because I was doing daily email updates and I wrote the entire module in seven days.
3: I have not ever had so much fun working with an artist because it was just like, yeah, it was just coming, pouring out of him every day. I I'd, I'd get a new email and he'd be telling me about the new exciting thing I was like yes yeah yeah oh that's awesome let's do that too <laughs> was,
4: and I yeah. mean it has it has punches of of real horror in it,
0: yeah
4: um it also has punches of just really great gonzo in it, and it just it just came out so fast and so uh fully realized. <laughs> I just I wrote the whole damn thing in seven days. And, you know, there was a little bit of tweaking, I think, after that. But, man, I just burned through that so fast. Um, and I had a great time. And the very first thing that came to my mind was the title because I wanted to do a uh, a spin on a, a holiday theme, you know, a holiday title you know, a movie title that, uh, that people would be familiar with. Right. So I was like, Oh, this totally works. And so I just, I just went with it and you know, the, uh, the candy crypt came right out and it was <laughs> awesome. It's so much fun. I, I'm so very I do, proud uh, of it. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, that was
3: it. I, I, I do want to talk about, um, one of John's, uh, current projects, one of his latest projects only because I have to talk about it because he doesn't know about it yet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is today I, uh, today we, uh, we took your pitch and tossed it back and forth and uh, we are all very excited for the terror of crater Lake. So I will be talking to you about that shortly, John. Oh,
4: Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Great news. Oh, that's Great!
3: Not holiday themed. <laughs> Not holiday themed.
1: Sounds cool, nonetheless. <laughs> is it a uh, Loch Ness monster sort of scenario, or, or something beneath the waters? Uh, Cthulian?
4: Or, uh, or, or more... can we
1: release any information?
4: I think we could say that I'm thinking more Cthulian, uh, more uh, Lake Holly, uh, which is more King and Yellow kind of thing.
1: King and Yellow, that's that's been a uh, phrase going around a lot here recently in uh, uh, Cthulhu-based podcasts with uh, what's the Delta Green scenario that's uh, steeped in that. uh, Tag on. Mine just went blank, but uh, yeah, it's...
3: Sign
4: the other... (laughs) There's lots of there's yeah, lots yeah, there's of a lot. that's a and stuff. A pretty, uh... it, it's a very rich uh, pool to, to dive into, that's for sure. <laughs> wow, well, that's awesome, Edwin. I can't wait. That's going to be great.
3: great. Yeah, no, I'll send you a note tomorrow or the next day, because we're, we're all excited for it. So, that'd be sweet. Just took us a long time to get off our butts and actually talk about it, which is embarrassing, but... <laughs>
4: no worries
3: I'm giddy I'm giddy <laughs> it'll it'll be written by breakfast
1: <laughs> well, right? he's got to be seven days right he's got to get at least down to six exactly <laughs> so John uh, aside from uh, this project that just uh, got placed on your desk there uh, you got anything else going on right now
4: well I I am working on some uh, things that I'm writing uh, that I can't really talk about at this time so uh the terror lake will probably need to um come in behind that but that'll just help motivate me to uh drive the horses harder and faster to get this other project up and running <laughs> so that I can make room for terror lake to uh to hit the desk um But yeah, uh, you know, other than that, one thing that I'm writing, uh, I'm focusing on a uh, podcast. Uh, I am also a podcaster. I'm currently uh, one of the co hosts of the uh, Modern Mythos podcast. But for nine years, I was also a co host of the Miskatonic University podcast. Uh, I I guess I should say the Any Award winning podcast. Miskatonic University podcast.
3: Gotta so, sneak
4: that in. Yes, sneak that right <laughs> under the table there. So, that was fun. We, uh, you know, uh, I know that the podcast, the MUP podcast is still going strong, um, uh, with uh, Keeper Murph and Keeper Dave and Keeper Bridget. Uh, and it's a, it's a fantastic show. Um, uh, and they're branching out into covering more horror playing games more than just call of cthulhu and uh i really wanted to i, I have more that i want to say about call of cthulhu so i wanted to go ahead and maybe i wanted to splinter off and start another show so i'm partnering with uh, seth skorkowski who's a youtuber and uh, uh he's also a, a game designer and so he and i are hosting this uh modern mythos podcast and you know we uh we keep it fairly uh, evergreen, you know, so there's not a lot that we talk about that'll, you know, if you were to listen to it 10 years ago, oh, that that was old news, you know. So we try and keep uh, the topics fairly uh, evergreen so it doesn't matter if you listen to it today or five years from the road. Um, but but the listen things to that we it talk talk today. About, I mean, yeah, listen to, to it, download today. it now. Yeah, sure. I, download it now. <laughs> listen to whatever you want. <laughs> And Edwin is is amazing in keeping us uh, sounding great because he's he's an awesome uh, audio engineer for sure.
3: Wait, let me let me hit my mic a few times.
4: (laughs) Thump thump thump.
1: Well, that is awesome. Uh, That brings us to our next segment on the show.
3: Go and tell your master
1: that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. Real Quest. So this is our Holy Grail segment. This is the segment where we talk about what we're looking for in gaming, uh, either physical product-wise or just conceptually what we're trying to accomplish in our games or in our writing or whatever. Who's got something they're looking for?
3: I, as usual, have something that I'm looking for. Uh, I... I'm looking for money,
1: and I am looking. You're looking for in the money. wrong industry, Edwin. Wrong industry. <laughs> um, well, that, that may be
3: true. <laughs> that may be true. Um, I am looking for money to uh, to help crush cancer. Is what I'm doing. Um, so December 11th, uh, I am taking part in the Jerry Steffick Memorial Crawl for the Cure, which uh, Corey Welch is organizing. This is 16 hours of online gaming, and uh, Brendan LaSalle is running the first four hours from 10 to 2 Eastern, uh, doing something DCC adjacent, uh, and then from 2 until 6, I'm going to be running uh, Frog God's newest uh, Orcas in Winter Wonderland by Steve Winter. And I'm going to be running it in DCC, which is going to be exciting because I have not Uh, i've not had the opportunity to play or run uh, dcc for quite some time and i suspect based on my schedule i will be converting it to dcc on the fly uh and then i think and then we'll have uh eight more hours of gaming after that i think we'll have some uh, hopefully some castles and crusades and some mcc uh is is all planned we'll see what happens that's still still some details working out but the uh I love these games, uh, these these fundraising games, uh, when when they're flying on, on, I don't know if you fly on all cylinders, flying on both wings? Sure. Um, we, uh, the way, uh, at least the one I'm running, uh, we, donations can mess with the game. So if you are listening to the game, we're going to be on Twitch. It's uh, DCC underscore mayhem on Twitch, and uh if you're making a donation and you want something to happen in the game, we will figure out a way to make it happen. And I just have so much fun uh, seeing what shows up from the public, whether it's uh, good or bad for the players, uh, player characters, or, you know, it twists the story one way or the other. But um, they just tend to be super high-octane, high-energy, anything-goes kind of games. You know, it's a one-shot, it's four hours, and people are just... Making making stuff happen. So that's that's my thing. I'm looking for money. That's that's
4: sweet sweet and simple. That is December awesome. 11th. That is awesome.
3: So uh, Edwin, uh, guess what fool
1: they got to run the nine to one o'clock slot?
4: Oh yeah, you
3: fool? Yeah, I'm the fool. Yeah. Awesome. I I told uh, I told Corey that if he could get you to run, uh, I would be willing to play.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I got some torture so, to put uh, you through. So. Uh,
3: well, for uh, me, it's ten to two. Lucky
1: <laughs> bastard.
3: <laughs> 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 no, no, wait, no, no, no. No, it's, no, yeah, it's worse. I'm, I'm going
1: until two a.m. Yeah. yeah, I got that backwards. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that'll, that'll be my first time running something on Twitch. I mean, I've done plenty of online gaming, but it's always, you know, just been private, you know. But uh, ah, yeah, I shouldn't get too uh too many uh, butterflies in my stomach. But uh, I, I like you. I I love supporting any sort of uh, charity, sort of event like this, especially cancer. I, I've had a lot of family members that have, uh, suffered from cancer. And just, uh, as soon as Corey reached out to me, I was like, Hey, yeah, man, I, here's some product. Here's, you know, what do you need? I'll do it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, if you're out there listening to us and uh, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm just a gamer. I can't do anything. I'll tell you what, there, there's a lot you can do right now, especially, you know, with, with the zeitgeist of, uh, role-playing being sort of a, a cool sort of thing like it is right now. Yeah. um, You know, reach out to people that are having silent auctions, offer to run a gaming session. Uh, I've raised hundreds of dollars doing that each year for a friend of mine that does a cancer uh, silent auction thing. Um, It's real easy to do something like that. Uh, You've got some skills in gaming. They can apply to raising money for sure, man.
4: That is a great idea. I love that.
3: Yeah, no, and we've done some uh, at Necronomicon. um, (laughs) Some of my most memorable games from Necronomicon have been these fundraising games of... uh, Anything goes, and and I like I like the idea though of just yeah offering to to say hey I'll run a four hour game for whoever whoever bids the highest for this and that's awesome.
4: Yeah, I I did run uh at the Necronomicon in 2019. I I ran yeah. one, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Good right. times.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and I gotta say that whatever whatever I I uh, I may get back to it, but I have done a whole mess of I think we did. I don't know if it was four or five years running of doing the 24-hour extra life games uh, where I would run. Typically, I'd run for 20 hours, and I'd play for four. So a friend of mine would, would uh, run for four of the hours. And uh, so the idea of playing and running for 16 seems like kind of light duty. I'm, I'm I'm pretty psyched for that.
4: <laughs> oh, <man>. I can't <laughs> imagine. Get up and go to work the next day.
3: Yeah. I don't know if I could still do all-nighters playing games, but anyway, that's my holy grail.
1: Excellent on you, man. Anybody else looking for anything? Uh,
4: Go ahead, Bill. Okay, Uh, I
2: am actually. What I do is I go through my spreadsheet before these podcasts and and look at something I've been looking for a while. And right now, I am still looking for a copy of Cobalt Hall by Rolades. Uh, came out back in uh, 1984, I believe it was. And for some reason, I am missing that. So only a folder version Rolex product I'm missing. So,
3: Bill, I really hope that that one of these days you'll be on this and you'll say something, and one of the listeners will be like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh I've got an extra copy of that," and they'll just like send it to you or something. That would be that so really sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that would be
3: you. amazing.
2: So the, the the ironic thing of of that particular one is that came out at. Origins 84, which was held here in Detroit, and I was actually the convention manager that Saturday. So I had – I bought it then, and for some reason I can't find it. And I just – well, she's driving me crazy. I'm like, I, I just got to have – get my hands on a copy. So that's the irony of it.
3: You were probably one of those listeners someday. Somebody said, man, if only I had a copy of this. And you're like, oh, I think I have an extra copy. And you sent it off, and then <laughs> that was your only copy. <laughs> yeah.
4: That might
3: be. How about you, John?
4: Uh, you know, as a uh, as a diehard Call of Cthulhu uh, fan, I am always looking to collect uh, vintage, first edition Call of Cthulhu uh, adventures, uh, source books, rule books, um, and you know, back in the day with the first and second edition of the game, a lot of the of the uh, heavy, large items that they were, not not physically heavy, but, you know, depth heavy uh, items that they were doing like the Masks of Nyarlathotep, Horror on the Orient Express, the Dreamlands uh, 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 Source Book or Source Box, um, Gaslight, or the Gaslands, um, Gaslight, those were box sets. And uh, so... Spawn of Asathoth was their first box set that they did, and I have that. I have a really nice cherry copy of that. And so I'd love to be able to try and get all the other, uh, you know, first edition box sets from that era. So, you know, get the Massive the tap, get the Horror on the Ordering Express, you know, get those. Because I have all the modern stuff, but, uh, yeah, I want to try and collect those uh, those older box sets. be a lot of fun. That's awesome.
2: That's, the, that's one of the rabbit holes I never pulled down. was collecting old Call of Cthulhu stuff just because it, it just looks so awesome, though. It really does.
4: Yeah, it's so cool.
1: I've never actually owned one of their box sets. Uh, how do they compare to, like, the TSR boxes? Are they pretty sturdy, or is it hard to find those intact?
4: They are much sturdier, uh, so you can normally find them intact. You know, uh, even uh, the TSR boxes, they were usually... Well reinforced at the corners, but then the, the the lid would sag. You know, yeah, pretty thin uh, material. Yeah. Pretty thin material, but the the Chaosium boxes were uh, a, definitely a better grade of cardboard. And so um, the lids are usually, if you find them, they're they're still usually uh, level. They haven't sagged, but. Uh, because something has to give, I typically see more of the box corners split on Chaosium yeah, boxes yeah. than you yeah. do on like the TSR boxes because they, they seem to have been like double-folded and had a, a, a more reinforcement in the corners for the TSR ones, but the lids would sag with the Chaosium ones. They, would just, they were vertical and would split.
1: My whole Holy Grail this week developed suddenly yeah. when we were talking about doing this episode. So... uh you know, at the outset, we're like, man, we want to do something with the holidays. Maybe a holiday module. We could review it and and kind of talk about how it could be improved. And and then we're lucky enough. Edwin had the connection with John and you know with with the uh, Orcus on uh, the thirty or I can't I can't do it without the duh. <laughs> Orcus on thirty fourth level. Uh, you know, we're like, oh yeah, let's go with that and everything. But um, initially, we were looking through magazines because we thought. Uh, that, oh, Dragon Magazine used to always have all these holiday, you know, adventures in it, which turned out not to be true. <laughs> uh, you know, one of those Mandela effect sort of things. Um, but what did, I, I went through a bunch of my old Polyhedron magazines, which was the uh, magazine of the RPGA in the, back in the day. So it really got me jonesing for like a subscription service. You know, for something that comes in the mail, you know, every month or two months. It just has that whole calliope of... Of different articles in it and different things and and Polyhedral specifically uh, I almost like it in my older years here more than what I do the the Dragon magazines because it was so diverse in what it had you know like one issue would have you know a dungeon okay good fine can use that next issue might have something from Gamma World or something from Call of Cthulhu uh, or uh, or Cthulhu man I'm still hitting that wrong Uh, (laughs) but uh you know, just the, the the whole zoo there of it being different games and, and, and different uh, riders and stuff. It just, uh, I really enjoyed, you know, getting that back in the day. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i looking around, there's, there's just not a lot like that. Um, you know, I, I know that, you know, there's the zines on uh, Kickstarter, you know, tons of those. But it's kind of like I want to be able to just like pay one price and just have it, you know, surprise me in the mail, and not you know go out mm-hmm. and hunt it down mm-hmm. every every so often. Yeah, that's that's
2: look. Kickstarter's had some wonderful effects on the industry. Most you know ninety nine percent positive. Uh, the only negative part of Kickstarter is that it has taken it's changed everyone's business model from from either just straight up publishing, including the way we do you know pay starters even do Kickstarter Kickstarter's our, our major business model now. But it, it really got rid of anything. If you, no one's going to do a subscription service when Kickstarter exists, because they're just turning Kickstarter into a subscription service, right? Because there's a couple of magazines that do that now. Folio is that that one of them maybe, um, and a couple different ones. But I, I know what you're saying. I mean, if if someone put out something like Polyhedron today, I'd, I'd be all over it.
4: You know, there is a magazine that I am loving that is being kickstarted, at least, it's only had two issues, and, uh, Knock, have y'all seen the yeah. Knock magazine?
1: I think I saw advertising yep. for yeah.
4: Man, it is freaking great! Um, there's only two issues out, I've got them both, um, and I missed the, uh, I missed both of the kickstarters, I didn't do either of the kickstarters for this, I just went to the, uh, website, placed orders, and, you know, mm-hmm. the. They got sent to me from France, and they're awesome. But they have I think in issue one, it was a collection, primarily a collection of articles from blogs that they were just scouring and saying, oh, this is a good one, this is a good one. And then they uh, retooled uh, uh, those articles with new art. And then I think in issue two, I think it might be half and half of uh, uh, original material written for that magazine versus – half of, uh you know, blog articles that they found again, all of it, you know, punched up with amazing art. Cause I mean, this thing sort of like, uh, uh, Merc Borg, where it's just a, uh, an art book, you know, Merck Borg is an art book with a, with a game in it. The, these <laughs> knock magazines are art books with, uh, old school central, you know, style, you know, old school gaming OSR gaming material filled in it that, uh, that game that I'm running, that uh, Swords of Wizardry game uh, in the Tower Silver, in the Shadow of Tower Silver Axe, I am cherry picking uh, rules and house rules and things like that from Knock Magazine to uh, run with my players in there that are just a ton of fun. You know, because we're starting out at first level and. You know, there's nothing more fragile than a first-level character, like a first-level thief or a first-level wizard. I mean, you're going to, you know, you're going to die in a stiff breeze, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. One of the uh, really clever articles that I just super zoned in on was uh, how to use your hit dice. Instead of only using your hit dice when you level up to uh, re- Figure your hit points. Use hit dice to soak damage. So every time you get attacked, and this is great for characters that are one through three, you know, every time you get attacked and you're hit, before you apply the damage that's been done to you, roll your hit dice, and whatever your current hit dice is. So if it's a one d4 or one d6 or whatever it is, roll that and a, and subtract what you've rolled, soak up damage that's coming in and we house ruled it to where if someone hit you, they're gonna do at least a minimum of one point of damage. But yeah, my monsters will attack, they roll a D six to hit, you know, for, for the damage, and then my characters are rolling, you know, D four or D six for soaking. Normally they can reduce that down to a one, but sometimes they don't, you know, and they end up taking three or four points of damage. But huh. Yeah it's that was household. that was a really yeah that's a really great article that's just one of them you know from this uh from this knock uh, magazine so super cool love it
1: Yeah things were a little bit compounded because I uh I had uh you know I was trying to get all caught up on my reading and i had gotten uh Tom Wilson's back to basics the the hardbound version of I think the first yep. 10 of his or whatever and that yep. also is, like, reading through those, like, man, I would have loved to have gotten that in the mail and sat down and read it, you know. <laughs> you know, it's nice to have in the hardbound, too, but uh, I don't know, just bygone days, you know, a lot of nostalgia there.
4: Super, yeah.
1: All right. Well, did we, we got through everybody, didn't we? I think, I think so. so. All right, I so I, I think that puts us into the uh, letters from the Homeowners Association here. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is that writer is a total wacko. All right, folks, if you have anything that uh, you want to bring before us here, you can always email us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Uh, we have two letters this time around. Uh, the first one's a return uh, listener here, John Williams, and I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point that this is the composer, John Williams. It just has to be. We talk often, him and I, uh, through these emails about the sound quality. has to be him. Uh, He says, uh, I've been watching, or I'm sorry, I've been catching up on other RPG podcasts as one does, and I think it was on Grog Talk that they had a guest from TSR who basically said that the movie studio was very controlling of the final version of the product for the Indiana Jones RPG. And they're the reason why you play as the main characters from the movies, and everyone working on the game disagreed with it, but had to go along with it because of the contract. But the complicated NPC character creation rules in the back of the game are basically there so that you can make your own characters to play the game without using the movie characters. So that was a comment we had talked uh, when uh, uh, Bill Slavasek was on. We had talked about uh, properties and uh, how TSR had kind of botched their uh, chance to use the Indiana Jones property. And he was just responding that 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 was part of the the reason why that game was so weak. And everybody had to play as, you know, some character other than Indiana Jones. And only one player got to play as Indiana Jones. So I've never had that game. Have any of you guys ever owned that game?
4: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I owned it when it first came out.
2: Yeah, I have have all the modules. I got all of it. But I I don't – I need to go – I'm going to go find that. Grog talk and listen to see who they were talking to because that's not my recollection of what happened with Indiana Jones because they did the same thing with the, when they did the Conan RPG, the exact same thing. So I'm, I'm not so, so sure how much of that is. It doesn't sound very accurate to me. I, I, I think when TSR bought licenses, I don't think whoever they bought the license from really gave a crap how they did, designed their role system. It was more about what the product was, the end product was probably going to look like and it didn't violate their IP image. Yeah, I would find it strange.
1: Uh, I mean, I, I assume that – well, I – hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just can't was, imagine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just can't imagine. Who owned Indiana Jones back then? Was it Paramount? That's what I was wondering, whether it's Paramount or yes. Lucasfilm.
2: Yeah. So I, I just cannot imagine someone there reviewing a role-playing game that they sold you know, an IP off to TSR – a license to create create the RPG. I, I cannot imagine someone doing that and nitpicking it down to how the rule system is going to work. I mean, I, I just don't I don't see that. It just makes it doesn't it that just does not work for me because I, I just don't think they would even have anyone there would know what an RPG even is.
4: Yeah, in those days, nobody at the movie theater you know in the movie executives were playing RPGs.
2: No, no. I mean, you're talking about 1980s here. I mean mid eighties when that
1: game came yeah. out. Yeah, I mean that was kind of height of TSR really right there, and, and you would think they would look at that uh, and go, "Oh, these guys know what they're doing. They're the you know the big fish of their little industry." So,
2: well, we can have a lot
1: of discussion about whether we think they know what they were doing or not,
2: but um, <laughs> <laughs> they were certainly John the Peterson big dogs did, on the block. Read, they were the big dogs on the block. No question about that. But re, definitely read John Peterson's new book. It's just amazing um, about TSR, but. I don't. I don't think that's the case because, like I said, they did this exact same thing with a Conan RPG, right? I mean, they're, 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 you have to, you know, one person gets to play Conan and everyone gets to play some other shithead character. Um, they, 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 the, the Indiana Jones RPG is is known throughout the RPG industry, especially back in the day, is probably one of the worst RPGs ever created. So, um, I mean, it's got awful. It's it's horrible, mm-hmm. and not just because of that one thing. Um and a lot of these guys, you know, like I call a lot of them my friends who worked on it, but I don't know. TSR was bizarre in that era. They were really bizarre.
4: It's so funny that that this uh topic about the Indiana Jones RPG came up because I almost mentioned it during uh Grail Quest as I had uh a lot. I don't think I had everything that was published, but I had a lot of the Indiana Jones uh RPG just because I was a, a big Indian Jones fan of the exactly. movies and stuff. Yeah. And then after I went and joined the army, I don't know what happened to any of that stuff. I think my, I think my <laughs> parents, you know, got rid of it in a move or something. Cause by the time I got out, they had moved house, moved state even, uh, from Texas to, to Louisiana and, uh, none of my stuff made it. Uh, Hmm. Funny that, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been looking to try and get another copy of uh, Indiana Jones, and I want to collect um, um, the James Bond role-playing game. I've got the core uh-huh. rule book. But I, well, I had, games is I, excellent. Yeah, the yeah. Victor Games one. I, I, had, yep. I had a bunch of that, too, and I want to try and recollect that because I feel like, well, especially uh, with uh, James Bond, but also I think you could do it with Indiana Jones, I think that would be a great, like, two-person role-playing game. You know, you got your game master. You've got your single player who's playing the star hero, right? He, he's Indiana Jones, he's James Bond, and and you just you know run adventures just like that. And I think that would be easy and fun and probably better, easier to schedule uh, to play online. You know what I mean?
2: Well, up until about five or six years ago, you could grab any of the Indiana Jones. Well, maybe a little more. Yeah, six seven years ago. You could grab any of the Indiana Jones stuff for next to nothing. And now with the way uh, collectibles have, have exploded, um, including RPGs, it's it's pricey to get your hands on it. And I think there's the core box set, and I believe there's six modules slash, slash supplements for the game. it's only six.
4: I'm going to figure out which one of my kids I don't want around anymore, sell them, <laughs> and then I'll get the stuff. So. There you go.
1: Now, I will say I, I, I don't know much about the original Indiana Jones game. The one that West End Games redid is the Masterbook system, and then they redid it kind of again in their yeah. uh, D6 system. It's done
0: really yeah. well,
1: really, really yeah. well. And in There's fact, nine days. It's, uh, it's got a book in there. One of their books was called Artifacts, and it is my go-to when I'm trying to find some MacGuffin for almost any RPG because it's a list of actual real world artifacts and their historic background and their you know uh, pseudo background and everything uh, really really well done um, and then you're seeing uh, the victory games James Bond it actually as I understand was designed to be a one on one game or a one on two game where there's it's a very small group kind of a setup with that yes. Yeah. I've got a couple of those books, and they're also really well done. All right. Uh, Edwin, you got anything on that one, or shall we move on?
3: I think we should move move right along.
1: All righty. So we got Michael Anthony writing us. He says, It was great to hear someone talk about the West End Games Ghostbuster in the last episode. And with the movie coming out, what perfect timing. It really has me in the mood to run a Ghostbusters one-off. You guys have made mention of different IPs produced as RPGs from different companies. Are there any IPs that haven't been made into games that you fellas would love to see? I have always wanted to play in a Shogun Warriors RPG. I actually don't know much about the anime, but loved those toys as a kid in the 70s. The idea of giant piloted robots fighting monsters in each other with buzz saws flying off their arms, well, that is gravy right there. Have been enjoying the episodes, especially like the new hosts. You guys were dead on in your advice to Monster Master, Monster Master Matt in the last episode. Keep it up. Cheers. Mm. All right, so what do you guys think? So IPs that we'd like to see in games. It's Man, they've made so many of them, it's kind of hard to find ones that oh. haven't been uh, harvested. Yeah,
4: long. yeah.
3: And I play so few of them, I feel like I'm, I, I'm not a big IP gamer for, for whatever reason. So I don't I don't have anything to add to that particular uh, unfortunately. So I've been talking with myself muted. Um,
2: I agree with you guys. I I think I I would be hard pressed to find a IP that hasn't been at least anything classic that hasn't been at some point been something with a with an RPG. Um, and I'm not a big IP like Edwin. I'm, I'm the same way. Like I like I don't I can't stand a Marvel superhero role playing game. It just does nothing for me. And I love Marvel comics, but it's just not my thing. The game to me never didn't work. I don't know. I, I that's
3: that's a tough one. I'm not an anime
2: person at all, so that that rules that out.
3: I am um, I am kind of excited for the the Rivers of London game from uh, Chaosium coming out in Yeah, near future cuz that's a fun <laughs> that's a fun world.
2: Oh hey, speaking of, I'm reading back through that email. Speaking of Ghostbusters, if you guys haven't seen Afterlife yet, you, and you like the first Ghostbusters movie, I will put that in there. You need to go see it. It's it's absolutely fantastic.
0: That's cool. yeah, my movie I, review for the week. It was, I, I haven't
2: definitely seen it. want to go. I, yeah, it's really good. It, I I you know I I personally haven't been in a theater in a year and a half because in Michigan they closed everything forever. But uh, anyway, uh, it it was just phenomenal. I don't know how what else to say. It was uh, it, I'm not the biggest movie buff in the world. You know, I, I love going to see movies, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna laud over this one. This was a great movie. So if you like the first Ghostbusters, you're gonna love this.
1: Yeah, I took uh, my son on opening night. He's nine, and uh, okay, it was it was perfect because like there was stuff in it that he just thought was cooler than hell, and there was stuff yeah. in it that like I was like, oh yeah, man, that's a throwback to this or that, and. Uh, it just hit us both right in the spots we need to be hit at and uh, really had a good time.
2: Yeah, I went with my 21-year-old daughter who was, I mean, you 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 think, oh, 21-year-old, you know, they don't know Ghostbusters 1. I don't think she's ever seen it. I mean, it, it, again, and we came out how long ago, 30 years ago? Oh. Yeah. So she, yeah, same way. I loved it for a lot, of, a lot of our, you know, my 57-year-old butt reasons, and she loved it for her 21-year-old reasons, and uh uh, just a great movie. So, uh, podcast listeners, go see Afterlife. It's a, it's a great movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of felt it almost it. had a uh, like like an infusion of like Ghostbusters and Goonies kind of mixed a little bit together.
2: No, no, no doubt. You know, and and even and we were sitting here talking about Cthulhu stuff, and I but mean, there's no Cthulhu stuff in it. But there's ghost, you know, it's still ghosts and Ghostbusters. There was, you know, um, horror is not the right word to use, but definitely some, some suspenseful. Parts in it, right? And um, you know they're they're not afraid to make you uh, sit back a little bit in your seat for a second. So um, oh, I, I loved it. Yeah,
4: yeah um, I mean, I think about uh, the original Ghostbusters and the the Librarian ghost. Yeah, I mean that they, they played that whole scene. Other than Bill Murray, you know, uh, being a little bit of a cut up, which was the sure absolute I mean, being the professional comedian he is, he hit that exact right note, you know, where it wasn't too slapsticky and it wasn't yep. too awkward. It was just right. And then you had this like perfectly rendered ghost, you know, doing the thing, the librarian yep. thing, and then and then you know into the jump scare, and freaking great, super mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah,
2: they they don't they don't miss out on any of that in this movie. So if you, you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, and if you like the Ghostbusters game, make that a Ghostbusters adventure. You'd love it. It'd be a great time.
4: That's awesome. Yeah. You know, getting back to the question as far as an IP, you know, the only thing that I could think of, because, um, there's a book series by, um, uh, F. Paul Wilson, his Repairman Jack series. And that is a, uh, it's, it's a great, um, gadget guy kind of you know spy not really a spy but he's a he's a fix-it man repairman jack you know he's this nameless uh uh, anti-hero and he also is adjacent to this like cthulhu mythos kind of thing going on this this other world this outside world kind of thing going on um but he's he's the guy that you go to when you can't go to the cops. You know, if you've got a mm-hmm. problem and you need fixing, Repairman Jack will take care of it for you, you know. Um, but he ends up getting kind of pulled into this you know, otherworldly kind of thing. But there's no reason why you couldn't do that already mm-hmm. with Call Cthulhu. Uh, so thinking about another IP that I think would be interesting um, would be the Universal Monsters. I would oh, love yes. to see but it couldn't just it would have to be like a like a a, a a a new game from the ground up maybe something more along the lines of like uh you know a story type of game like Bluebeard's Brides um that type of game but but uh, centered around the uh, the universal monsters uh, specifically, the Universal Monsters uh, take of those, you know, Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, and and how your players confront mm-hmm. those uh, characters, those creatures, and and uh, in that universe.
1: Yeah, I that love might that be kind I'm, I'm huge into black and white 30s and 40s monsters. I got a whole cabinet of of I call it my mini wax museum. It's like you know, a bunch of 12-inch uh, action figures and stuff from different companies that they've put out of those characters. And uh, I, in college, I got really big into them, read all about the actors and their their backgrounds and everything. So, yeah, that'd be right up my alley. I, I always thought, you know, in the 90s, I, I always thought it was such a shame that uh, the whole storyteller system, you know, the, the White Wolf stuff, um, was so goth and angst-ridden and all that because I, I, I would love a universe where you... You get a pit, you know, werewolves against vampires, against, uh, you know, Frankenstein monsters and mummies. and, it, But I just don't want it to be all about, you know, these, these high school drama type stuff that it seems like that game kind of tilted towards. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. yeah. The only IP I'm thinking of that really, I, I can't believe it's not been in an RPG yet, is like the whole G Force Godzilla thing, um, you know, to... To have characters that are these these Caillus, uh, you know, fighting off other Caes and wrecking cities and stuff. There's got to be mm. something there, I think.
2: You guys uh, see the movie Love and Monsters? No, you mean? no. I came out a couple of years ago, it's uh, it's like a post-apocalypse kind of movie, but it's uh, definitely see it. It's it's you probably stream it somewhere, something like that. It's a really I, I another movie I, I I highly advise to see it's. If you like post epoch at all, and it's not it's uh it's not uh, gritty at all. It's not like a gritty post apocalypse movie kind of thing, but that that's actually got some unique ideas in it. Um, that I like. i that would be kind of a it would be that would be a pretty cool RPG actually for post apocalypse style games. It it would take it takes place basically right, you know, like three, four years after this apocalypse kind of thing, so I think that would be a cool one. All right, man, I've got the assignment. I'm going to check that out. Oh, well, if you got a view, and you like gamma world stuff too, right? Sure, yeah. like, oh, no, you got to see it. You're, you're going to love it. You're going to love it.
4: <laughs> Bill, don't you have uh, gamma X coming?
2: We do. Yeah. Next year it'll be out. I, I,
4: I will tell you now, I am a huge fan of gamma <laughs> world. I, uh, you know, Getting back to Goodman Games, I was also one of the uh, participating writers when they were uh, revamping uh, uh, Metamorphos Alpha. Yeah, I've got a few things in that that I that I created. Uh, actually, Jim Wampler. There there was one evening where um, uh, Joseph Goodman launched an email out to a bunch of writers that uh, Jim Wampler and I were both on that email chain mm-hmm. and. Joseph was asking for a bunch of mutations and it was like an unspoken race between Jim and I <laughs> to, to respond back in this email as fast as we could all these different uh, 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 mutations and everything and um, it's funny because uh, Jim, I think, I've noticed he falls along uh, along the, uh, the line where you know, you know the superhero Mister Fantastic from the yeah. uh, so Jim uh, falls in line of calling that uh, uh, plastic uh, or plasticizing plasticity, or yeah, okay. plasticity. I fall in the camp of elongation, uh, and so we were we were both sending in mutations, and they had these two different names, but we basically wrote the same uh, definition for the superpower. And somehow they justified publishing them both as pl- plasticity did this thing and el- elongation did this other thing. I'm like the same thing. <laughs> it just you know, to me it was reading the exact same thing, but it was so funny. It, you know, I, just, funny. I remember that night because. I had my laptop with me downstairs, and in, in the in the family room, my wife and I we were like, you know, that thing where you do it with your spouse, where you you're just kind of half watching TV, but maybe both of you yep. are, you know, right. And so she's over there, and she's like, "What are you?" Because I'm giggling, I'm giggling as I'm typing. <laughs> she's like. You're an idiot! What are you doing? I'm I'm responding to this email and it's all about mutations. It's awesome. Uh, and she's like, "I'm oh.
3: working, dear." <laughs>
4: yeah. She's like, "I'm gonna get another drink." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, were, I, were those
1: both put into MCC then?
4: I believe they both are. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because there's a couple other mutations that are kind of like that. Where you look at them and you go, "Well, this this is kind of doing the same thing." This other one is like there's a uh, light generation which. Basically, at the higher levels, shoots out a laser. And then there's another one that's like energy projection. <laughs> but,
4: yeah. You know. like, huh. there, was an, there was an evening, and it went for a couple of days where there was just a bunch of – because a, a lot of the people that were on this email chain, they were probably doing it the right way. They were thinking about it and contemplating and maybe doing home notes. Jim and I, I think we were both doing stream of conscious thought straight into the email – Hit send and then like oh wait here's another idea Brr, send and uh, so that was that was a fun night so um, Bill I'm just putting it out there if you if you need, if you're looking for anybody to help you know I'm I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring because I am already when I heard in an earlier episode of uh, this old dungeon you talking about uh, Gamma X I'm like I am waiting for that game I want to play that game.
2: Awesome. Well, we'll we'll definitely talk. Definitely shoot me a, a message. Like I said, I'm Gamex. we were going to do it. We we're going to launch it the first of the year, but it's not. It's still not where we want it to be. And with our with our Kickstars, we really like to have them. Like when we launch, we really want to be like 95 done with them. And, oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh it's not. So we're gonna we move the this other one in front of it, and uh, it'll be probably. I think I'm going to time it for GaryCon. I like doing that too. I like. When we go to conventions, we'll launch a Kickstarter right before and we can kind of do a promotion during the convention and have some fun with it and that kind of thing. So it'll probably probably at this point not going to go to March. Um, and then, you know, turn around probably actually – it'll probably ship right around June. We want to ship it before North Texas RPG Con and we'll, you know, re- retail reveal it, reveal it at that point. But, yeah, we're really excited about Gammax and we're really excited about it. And we got Jim – we've talked to Jim about some stuff and um he kind of he's yeah, awesome kinda, he's so he's, great we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago and then he did something with me with uh scientific barbarian number four I think he's got a short article on it and that kind of thing so yeah we're we're super excited but I don't want to get off into uh in, in, into the weeds on that we can we can do that down the road but I appreciate you bringing that up we are as excited as you are I, I love game world I just absolutely love it it's it just seems like it. Uh, I know there's 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 other games out there. I get it, but uh, none of them are, just seem to me are are have that one e two e gamma world feel vibe to it. So it's kind of our, our purpose in doing it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Cause you know I love uh, mutant crawl classics. It's awesome. You play a yeah. lot of it, but it's, it's great. It's almost more Stone Age and a little little more of. Uh, Kind of more comical than how I remember Gamma World being, so I, I'm definitely looking forward to to your Gamma X version. Yeah,
4: and, yeah, uh, MCC, yeah, MCC has that taste because it it is also engineered for the zero level funnel. It's engineered for yeah. Gonzo fun. I was gonna, where, the
2: word, you stole my word. It's a it's a Gonzo DCC
4: product, right? I mean, yeah. But it, it does. It does
2: great. It, it, it's
4: amazing what it does. Yes, do, it so. does. Yep, it sure does. And there's room in the, in the in this field for both games for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, if that uh, wraps up everybody's thoughts on that, I think we're ready for Got the main up. event. Woo This
4: Old dungeon. Supposed to blow the
0: bloody
1: doors off. All right, folks. So, our our goal amongst ourselves this time around was to bring you some ideas for holiday gaming. Uh, So, these are games uh, that could be played uh, at any holiday. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, Christmas or. Or Kwanzaa or whatever you're about to celebrate, but uh, we, we kind of split into a couple groups here. We've got uh, some of us are going to present games that are already out there that you can play that are you know already pre-made, ready for the holidays. And then I think Bill and I, uh, we've got some old games that we think we could translate into a holiday theme. So uh, we'll all kind of jump on each other's uh, discussion as we go here. Is there anybody wants to start us off tonight?
3: I think you should start us off tonight. <laughs>
1: All right, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to taper mine down. I think I went a little overboard as I often do, uh, and I, and we're already kind of long in the tooth, but but well worth it as long as you guys are fine with hanging. Uh, I you know I'm happy to to go to the end of the program. I just uh, know that you know I feel bad for John. I don't know if you knew what you were getting into when you signed up with us, but uh, we love to talk. And it, 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 me personally, oh man. yeah,
2: this this got me so jazzed up. We're probably gonna be here till midnight. So
1: <laughs> bring it on, all right. <laughs> All right, so uh so when when we kind of settled on this premise of uh, maybe taking an old game and, and putting some holiday trappings on it, my mind immediately went to uh the the worst debacle of a holiday uh theming that ever happened, which is the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, seen this? <laughs> yeah,
4: I saw yes. it first aired, yes.
1: Okay, can't, okay. You can see it. You can't see it. So uh, for those that might not have seen it, uh, so this happened in 1978, uh, kind of as a mid-stride between uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it aired shortly before Thanksgiving, and uh, basically the, the whole show was more or less a variety show uh, that was you know thinly veiled behind a, a storyline, and the, the storyline that was kind of pushed behind was this idea that uh, Han Solo was trying to get Chewbacca Back to his home world of Kashyyyk, uh, so that he could be with his family for this holiday called Life Day, and uh, you know, on the way there, the Empire's got a blockade, and there's all this other stuff that happens, and there's some singing and dancing and a cartoon and uh, B. Arthur, and the next thing you know, uh, you know, Princess Leia is singing a song about Life Day uh, that's uh, <laughs> themed to the uh, the Star Wars theme song, uh, so yeah, so there's that. Uh, So a lot of Star Wars fans, uh, you know, obviously pay on that one. Um, So my my goal was to try to find an adventure that could somehow kind of merge with that and come out as a Star Wars D6 holiday adventure. And uh, after a lot of looking, I I found one that I thought worked pretty well. So um, they used to put out this thing called the Star Wars Journal, uh, which was kind of like some fan fiction mixed in with some RPG uh, gaming information. Again, going back to the day that you could subscribe to things. Uh, but uh, there was a an issue one. There was an adventure called Stranded, uh, written by a guy uh, by the name of It just lost. Uh, it just flew out of my brain. Um, I'll get back to you on that. Oh, oh, Chuck uh, Chuck Truitt. I'm sorry. So this was written in 1994 by Chuck Truitt. It's called Stranded. It's just a short little adventure. Originally, the deal is that the players are escorting this kind of anthropological team that's investigating this old mining planet where they think there's this race that has suddenly shifted into sentience. And uh, because the race is just newly sentient, they've got a very gruff demeanor. Uh, They they lean really quickly towards violence and, uh, you know, just... uh, you can kind of imagine they're a very hard society to deal with, and then on top of this, there's this uh, imperial shuttle that crashes on the planet, and uh, when they go to investigate it, there's one survivor who surrenders to the group, and what happens is the the natives find it to be a a real big slap in the face to let this person you know basically be be taken alive that you know in their mindset an enemy is an enemy you must kill and crush your enemies. And so they try to kill him, and one of the anthropologist NPCs tries to stop them, and they kill him. And then it just turns into this kind of big mess where the, the players have to figure out a way to survive on the planet and get away off the planet. If they rescue the the imperial governor that was, you know, surrendering, he knows about this spaceship that's off in the, the mining colony that's been evacuated by the, the empire, or the, I should say is being evacuated, and... Um, Oh, and I, I forgot there's this whole thing where there's these insects on the planet that eat metal so that the players can't go back to their ship because it's basically all the wiring's been devoured and stuff. Um, so it kind of goes on from there, and it's, it's sort of a sandbox sort of adventure, which is somewhat unusual for the D6 Star Wars uh, where it just kind of is open-ended at the end. So I'm going to take that I'm going to merge it with the uh, holiday special uh, to do this. I kind of think what what you do is you set it up uh, instead of them escorting, you know, the the anthropology team. In all holiday specials, one of the things you you typically see is, uh, you know, people got to reunite on the holiday. That's a big theme for holiday, uh, you know, stories and and movies and things. So we're going to have in the original adventure, there's the anthropologist and his assistant. In this case, we're going to separate it out. We're going to have the anthropologist and uh, his daughter. And actually we're gonna change it from a him to a to a her. We're gonna make it B. Arthur, okay? Because you got to get her back in here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bad Mike would appreciate that. So, uh, so uh, we're gonna have this. Uh, uh, what's the character's name? Uh, Doctor Nader. Uh, that's gonna be you know played by B. Arthur, and she wants to get back to see her daughter, who's been on this this uh, kind of anthropological expedition on this abandoned mining world, and uh, the daughter. Uh, her name's Kervina. Uh, it's a, a character from the module. That way you can just take the stats and the characters as they're written. Um, and it, that's going to be like a gorilla in the mist sort of thing. She's on this planet trying to understand this, this new sentient life form that are that really, you know, again, gruff and rough and violent. And uh, so you got to get this this doctor to see her her daughter. And we'll, we'll go with the life day thing. I mean, that's not a, you know, as goofy as it sounds. If you think about it, if you have a whole galaxy full of life forms all with their own cultures and religions... Maybe, you know, maybe back in the days of the Old Republic, they had like one unifying holiday to celebrate all life. So you try to get get the doctor to his daughter or her daughter uh, for Life Day, you know, to, to have that embrace. Uh, so you get to the planet. Well, actually, before you get to the planet, it's being blockaded somewhat by the Imperials because they're abandoning their mind facilities. We're going to have it happening like right there on the spot. Uh, they've decided that the the metal that they're trying to get from there uh, isn't in the supply they thought it was. Maybe the insects had kind of eaten some of it up or something, and uh, they're abandoning their post. So you got all these TIE these fighters and uh, uh, cruise ships and whatnot, dreadnoughts there. So you got a fair way to sneak into the planet or fight your way into the planet. You land, you go to the last space where the transponder for the daughter had been going off, and all that's, all that's left there is going to be You know, like uh, little fragments and stuff, kind of hinting at the idea that there's something on this planet eating metal. Uh, They they push forward, finding a trail, you know, leading them to where they think the daughter will be. And at some point, you have to have them come in contact with the. uh, This planet is called Kara, and the the aliens are called Karians. Uh, So they they come in contact with the Karians. You you give them that chance to try to, you know, figure out how to, you know, make some sort of uh, on eggshells alliance with them and they can maybe tell them where the daughter's at. And then as that's going on, you have the crash of the Imperial shuttle, just like in the original module. Uh, only this time, I think, you have the governor pretend he's not a governor. You have him survive the crash and realize that uh, his troops are, are being taken out real quick. And so he ditches his uniform and, and swears that he's a smuggler that was being detained and uh, tries to like work that angle, all the while plotting to get the players to go to the mining facility so he can, you know, basically double cross them. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm, trying to get this out as fast as I can. It's maybe a little too complicated for a short piece like this, but,
3: uh, I'm going say sounds like you've got about, uh, <laughs> two months of, uh, two months of gaming planned out. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're committed. Go for it. Go yeah. for it. So, uh,
1: so pushing forward on the story, uh, you, you, you know, you hope that the players are gonna first try to get the, the, the doctor and her daughter reunited on the uh, life day here. Uh and when that happens along the way here somehow the players are gonna find out that this guy's really an imperial, you know, governor and not this smuggler he claims to be, which then, you know, is maybe gonna set off the carrions, uh as they realize well this guy's the enemy, we should kill the enemy. And then you gotta have that whole confrontation and uh hopefully there could be, you know, peace uh you know resolved there. And then you get to the life day celebration with the daughter and maybe there's an exchange of gifts and something happens. Uh, you know, you hope maybe the, the governor is, is approached in some sentimental way that maybe changes his heart. Cause that's another big theme in these holiday, uh, movies and stories is a you have somebody that's your enemy or something that has a change of heart, the whole Scrooge thing, you know? Um, and so then you realize, Oh, your ship's destroyed. These insects have probably destroyed it by now or whatever. And the only way off the the whole place is to go back to the mining facility, you know, far away from the jungle where the insects are and and steal a ship there. So then you got to trust this guy, right? You know, is he going to double-cross us or not? Uh, so, you know, you, you got kind of that, that ending there where you can maybe have him, you know, show his, his uh, you know, new reformed self or, or maybe have him turn on him. I don't know. That's not very holiday-like if you do, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there you go, man. That's, you know... Uh, you, you gotta somewhere fit in a song and dance maybe during the life day celebration' because, uh, you know gotta gotta get that from the holiday special there but uh, that that's that's my pr- proposition in a nutshell of how to change stranded into a a better version of the hol- holiday special for star wars nice.
3: wow are you gonna uh to play. play some uh some music or something from the, uh, or some visuals from
4: the original. Too. Oh, you
3: got to man, get some Jefferson Starship rolling out, yeah, for sure, oh. man.
4: <laughs> you know, there used, to, you know, back in the day, there was the, uh, there was an album. It was a, it was a, like a real synth, synth oh the, the, you the know, disco, synth, yeah, um, the disco uh, Star Wars album didn't have any uh, of the licensed imagery, so it just had like, you know, two generic people with bubble helmets, you know, and ray guns on a planet and. And had a, 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 a tweaked version of the Star Wars theme and a bunch of other, you know, tweaky, synthetic uh, space themes. You could play that. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Life Day, it's funny that you should bring this up. So um, uh, last Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving of, uh, of this year, 2021, um, a new Star Wars comic came out in which it was all about Life Day. So they have <laughs> they have made Life Day now, canon in the Star Wars comics. Awesome! There you go.
3: Huh. What do you have going on, Bill? All
2: right. Well, I I selected I, I stuck with uh, Dungeons and Dragons theme but I pulled out um, an old module from 1992 called Quest for the Silver Sword. So a little. bit. Backstory here because a lot of people aren't, you know, may not be familiar with this. So, the last version of, of classic Dungeons and Dragons or basic Dungeons and Dragons came out in the real early 90s 91, 92, 93. We, a lot of people call them the Black Box Edition. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it um, or Classic Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so, it was a, a large black box um, and uh, with the red dragon on the cover. And these that that product had a book in it. It had cardboard stand up figures and had large fold out mm-hmm. maps, colorful fold maps for twenty five or twenty eight mil, 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 millimeter miniatures and that kind of thing. So one of the modules was it,
1: was it the ahead. one that had the was it the one that had the rule cards that kind of worked you through yep. how to run it? Oh yeah, that's a really yeah. good addition. It had, it had
2: actual rule book, but it had the rule cards too, so you could yeah walk your way through playing. It was that kind of a cool thing for people who've never played before? Uh, anyone who knew D and D just kind of threw them away, but um, it was very, it, it's very actually a very innovative stat. And to me, it's I love BX, but I'm telling you that the black box version or Dungeons Classic, they, they called it Classic Dungeons and Dragons, is what TSR called it technically. It is a, just a great, great version of the game, and they put out a bunch of modules for it. And this, uh, they created a little campaign setting called Thunder Rift. And the second module they put out for it was called Quest for the Silver Sword. And this module takes place in this little town, who uh, is under a curse of uh, persistent winter. So that's that's kind of where my my mind went to when we talk about holidays. You know, I went to the whole winter theme. Uh, you know, keeping keeping all the. You know, it's a touchy subject, right? If we get into Christmas and we don't want to talk about the religious aspect of necessarily in in gaming because we want we want to. Just you know, stay more neutral. So, right.
3: what, what are you saying? All of our Christmas adventures have Orcas in them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: always say go. that my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Man,
2: exactly. Um, but anyway, so I I I pulled this you know I pulled this this module out and I just flipped through it and I'm like it's even got so being me I kind of went back to pure nostalgia and I'm like okay so what can I do with Quest for So sorry you got this town it's a, uh, there's a forever winter going on They're under this curse. Uh, and it's, this is, you know, it comes from this, this keep nearby abandoned keep. And you got to go in there. PCs go in there. It's a, like a second level adventure. PC has got to go in there, defeat a couple bad guys and beat this uh, ice golem that has this magical sword imprisoned within it, which is what's causing the curse and all that. And, and you know, my mind's thinking, okay, that's kind of cool, but it's not very festive or holiday. Like, so how do I make this a holiday kind of adventure? And uh, so I'm sure everyone's familiar with Santa Claus is Coming to Town, right? The old uh, clay or stop uh, motion.
1: Yeah, Rankin and Bass, yeah.
2: Yes, That's... Rankin and Bass. Yeah, Claymation. And I'm like, okay, so I can do something with this. So instead of there being an ice gallon were-wraffting, werewolf thing, we are going to put a, a, a winter warlock in there, and uh, he's captured this, this – Oddly enough, this this module has captured elves. <laughs> so we've got we're going to have Chris Kringle with his captured elves in this keep, and you got to go rescue him so he can go take care of business and all that kind of thing. And uh, that's kind of my idea where to spin this off again. And you could, like I said, you could take that Winter Warlock character that's in that in that little uh, I don't want to call it a film, but you know that hour special Christmas special. And just kind of make this the D&D version of that, of that show. And uh, the PCs get to interact with all this. The, the, you know, Kind of those characters you can uh, you know tailor in the way you'd want to. But that's kind of how I would do it. And I would have this winter warlock capture these elves and, and this Chris King rule dude and, and got his magic sword. And now he's got this forever winter because that's what he wants to do. He's a winter warlock after all, right? So <laughs> what are winter warlocks like? They like winter. So what's better than a uh, winter that lasts forever? And uh, so anyway, it's a little low level adventure, and you get to kind of go save uh, Christmas. That's really not Christmas, but you get to save it anyway. That's awesome. I like the uh, sound of that a lot.
4: Yeah, that's it's
2: it's a great little. Okay, so now I'll get on my on my on my stool and I'll 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 pimp the the actual product the way or just run it the way it is, which is fun. But um, these were really cool products. So the module itself is only like sixteen pages, but they did a lot of innovative stuff with this thing. So you've got You've got the, a 16-page adventure book. You've got a regular gatefold TSR cover, right? So you got a map on the inside of the cover. But the really cool thing about this is the map, you know, it's, it's all number keyed, right? The keep is it's the, only, the only actual location of the adventures. is this keep. But there's a player description for every room. Well, they've got those player descriptions. Now they they in the book, they're on the inside cover matching it to the numbers. I wish we had a video thing I could show it to you. It is really cool. It is really cool. So you don't have to. You're not constantly flip. You know the PCs go from room 10 to 11. You don't have to flip your book open. You can just read the player description right there off the off the screen, um, the inside screen of the the cover. And I thought that I think that's just really yeah, nice. That all sounds these, really nice. They did yeah, that with but, all these uh, the six or seven adventure models they did for the Rift. They did it with all of them. So the other cool thing is you you get a you get a 20 inch by 30 inch map color map out map that's good for miniatures. And they give you 16 cardboard cutouts also come in this module. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, they did all that back in the day for like 15 bucks. I mean, it, it was insane.
1: So as but, a designer, i, I got to get my, my mind wrapped around this. So the, the map on the cover, yeah. does it have just like the, the key there and then the descriptions are next to it on another like part of the trifold? Or is it
4: is <sighs> it got the no. line, like,
1: lines coming out and words that say or?
2: There, yeah so there's a it, the the keep is in let's you know in the center of, of the the cover right inside cover and it's numbered and they've got like a thin gray line and the the room descriptions are, are on the perimeter of it in their own uh, text boxes basically huh. and there's a line and it doesn't matter it says room number 11 wine cellar and you just read you know the first thing you notice in this room is uh, ornate wooden rack secured to one of the walls, you know, I mean, just, it's got a complete pair of scripts for each one. It is actually really cool. It is. I can't believe we've never done this at Paysider because this is actually a really cool idea. (laughs) So check that
1: out.
2: Yeah. yeah, They're, they're, yes, exactly. I mean, they're, they are really great products. And the the funny thing is actually reading back through here in this module. So they didn't really use Thaco in the classic game in the book, but they introduce it in this module actually. Hmm. which is really cool because they, you know, it's a second edition AD&D thing, but you never really showed up anywhere else. Um, and I'm, I'm a fan of it. I think I, I don't, I do not understand why people have a heartburn over that. Oh, it's just, why would you not make life easier? But, um, <laughs> for sure. But, uh, but yeah, just a really cool little adventure product. And like I said, you could you could you can Christmas this up. It's got all of it built into it already. It's got some cool new ice. It's got a, White Widow Spider, which basically, if it bites you, it freezes you to death. Um, there's a Ice Golem in here, which is new for classic or basic DD. and um, There's a couple other new creatures in here. I think there's four or five, six new creatures in here. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, armor Golem, Spitting Beetle, a Ratling, which is basically a minion for a were-rat. Um, the White Widow Spider, an Ice Golem. I mean, all cool little, cool little creatures you can throw in. Um and like I said it's 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 there's a prevalence of of cold throughout the keep and that kind of thing and you find these frozen prisoners and you got to figure out how to thaw them out. So I don't know I, I thought for the season it's more of a seasonal kind of thing versus a holiday, but um a nice little adventure it's uh, you can get it on drive RPG right now by the way, another reason I looked at this because I know you can still get your hands on it without having to pay you know 50 60 seventy bucks for an original copy of this so. If you don't want, you know, the cardboard figures and that kind of thing, you just get your drive through copy. And I do believe they pad it, too, so you can get a printed copy. Um, but, you know, you won't get the big fold-out color map, which is also
1: sweet. So
2: there it is. You, you sold me.
1: I, I, it's a product that I wasn't real familiar with. I mean, I knew the, the line a little bit, but that particular module I'd never heard anybody say anything about and wasn't real familiar with the title.
2: Yeah, it, it it's it's basic. I mean, it's simple. There, none of none of the six there's six modules for for thund, the Thunder Rift campaign, there's a couple of supplements and I think there's a mini module in the DM screen called Escape from Thunder Rift. So once you're done playing through Thunder Rift, you can actually escape and go to another campaign setting. It's like just they did some really innovative stuff with this uh, this product line. And the modules are all pretty simple. But they're all the same. They all give you this, the same thing on the inside cover. They give you a bit large color fold map. They give you a cardboard cutout figures in every module. Um, it really is a great product and they're, uh, they're fun to play. There's a couple of the modules. This one's, you know, it's pretty much standard dungeon crawly kind of thing. Um, but like I said, I, I would, I would kind of twist it up a little bit and go with my Santa Claus is coming to town variant for it. But uh, you can even – if we're getting into playing songs, you can even pull it up on YouTube and play the songs. So there you go. <laughs> nice. You
1: have to get the, uh, the Mr. Cold song there.
2: Oh, man, all The Heat Miser. Awesome. All those, yes.
1: Uh, let's see. Edwin, you had thought about going through kind of pulling out some of the holiday-themed uh, modules that you know of. I know your, your company, Frog, Game, uh, Frog God Games, uh, th- that's kind of a thing they do, right? I mean they're kind of known for that.
3: Well, yeah, I was going to talk so I did, uh, we did have some, uh, my home game, the uh, the characters rescued a whole bunch of statues from a cockatrice lair, and uh, and the statues unstoned, and we were able to have a little Thanksgiving feast, that was kind of fun, just a little coincidental this past weekend. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to uh, sort of flip the script a little bit, rather than... Um, Holidaying up an adventure Is going to see about adventuring up a holiday And uh, I have had Some uh, I've been sort of working on our our Holiday line and we've already talked About two of them that I've done with John Hook Was Orcus on 34th level and Light of the Moonglow Glade So so Christmas and Arbor Day Um, But two Others that I wanted to talk about just in Sort of uh, how we got to The adventure one of them is uh, Elizabeth Murphy's For the Love of Valentine, and uh, this basically, uh, she went back to the uh, Roman era Saint Valentine or Valentinus or whoever it is, um, who was, you know, one of the early Christians who was really messing with the, um, the, the Roman order. Uh, the establishment and uh, coming in and preaching love and so forth and uh, she also was reading up about Lupercalia and and uh, Faunus and sort of the the more you know the the existing religious uh, order and spun a really nice adventure out of it so I basically went and I said, hey we'd we'd love for you to do Saint Val- uh, Valentine's Day and she said, yes as long as it's not i don't have to write some cheesy love story and i said <laughs> you can write something as dark and whatever as you want um and just ended up i think by going back to the the roots ended up coming up with a really cool story and it does have uh it does have you know has some romance in it um and of course, this God of Love and and so forth, and and so that was fun to also think about what that means from you know game mechanics and how does that uh, pacifism and and peace and so forth work into a you know what we most of us play pretty heavily as a combat game, <laughs> and then bringing in the cultists and the the uh, all of the sort of chaos and stuff that was that was part of celebration. So that was one of them. Was uh, for the love of Valentine, and uh, I don't know. That was a that was just really uh, working with John and Orcas on 34th level was a, uh, a roller coaster. Uh, working with Elizabeth on for the love of Valentine was a uh, a much more stately process. That uh, but I would say equally <laughs> enjoyable, but but spread well, out over many years. Well said. <laughs> And then uh, we also had uh, Brent Griffin write by Don's Early Light. And I, I basically it was the same thing. I said, hey, um, what do you feel about Independence Day? What do you think you can do with that? And uh, so he uh, sort of did the same thing and went back and looked at the origins of the holiday and how was it celebrated in the early days. And one of the things he latched onto was that uh, pre-fireworks, one of the big pieces of the holiday was bonfires. And he writes in the intro that, you know, there was competitions in the towns for who could build the b- biggest bonfire and that, you know, some town had a 140-foot-tall bonfire. Oh, um, and I know that's still a pretty big tradition uh, in New England and I probably for Texas football games, for all I know. Um, but, but that it was a real rowdy, violent time of year. Um, and so he sort of puts that idea at the core of the story in a town that has uh is celebrating its first year of independence from the um oh you know the bad guy who uh <laughs> who had been running the town and uh they thought they'd killed him and of course it's D&D so people people don't quite die the way you think they will um but, again, so that was also just a fun it, – it's, so it's been fun to see how these different authors have taken a holiday – well, and, and actually, John, you're Blight of the Moonglow uh, Glade, too. I mean, there's – you know, we're talking about trees, and we're talking about the life of the forest, and we're talking about saving a forest. Um, so I think you took sort of the – some of the fundamental concept, but I don't think anyone would read that adventure and say, "Oh, this is a holiday adventure," and they certainly yeah. wouldn't say, "Oh, this is Arbor Day." <laughs> no,
4: it's not no, like anyone's I,
3: planting trees in this I adventure. I missed
4: the mark on that, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no, but I think I think that's that's actually good because if it were, uh, I mean, one of the things, like as you were saying, you know, a lot of the holiday adventures are just. Over the top. And that's super fun. Actually, um, the frogs today, the other half of the meeting that we were not talking about terror of crater like we were brainstorming for a whole bunch of Halloween adventures. And uh, on those because it's Halloween, I mean, those we're going to hit, you know, we're going to hit the nail so hard on the head that it's going to come out the other side. I mean, it's there's just, there will be so, no stereotype. So left Edward, on, are, are you guys putting right.
1: together an anthology? um or we like might eventually
3: I, so yeah they're all separate projects oh, okay. my 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 thing is that i'm actually uh thinking that we'll you know in the same way that we've been doing a, a wintertime christmasy adventure for the last several years i would love for us to do a halloween adventure every year for the next for however long we can keep up good ideas um i could see us at some point though my goal was to get enough holiday adventures so that we could actually do like a a 12 um 12 scenario book or something like that you know for 12 holidays or something you know something something pretty pretty broad but for right now we're just just building the stable uh, trying to keep so 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 sort of working that balance I guess between uh just super obvious and but interesting to play or funny or humorous or ones that are more historical and a little more, uh, you know, dark or serious or gritty. And just, because I think you can do all of these different things with a holiday adventure, uh, depending on which way you want to go with it. And so that's been really fun to explore. I've been really, I'm super excited to be the sort of the uh, I don't know. I guess I'll I'll say I'm the line editor because we make up titles for ourselves all the time. Uh, <laughs> so I'm the line editor for our holiday line.
4: <laughs> I like it. I like it. Congrats. Uh,
3: yeah. So thanks for the promotion. That was Happy great. Year, folks. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's what I was thinking about for um, for holiday adventures.
4: Nice. I Love it. Love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, and and it has We've been got so one much more fun. John. Got one more? Well, do you have something for us? Oh yes, I was going into that. I thought you said you had one more.
3: Oh no 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 no. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, so that's awesome, and it's been um, it's been awesome to be a, a participant an author in that line. Uh, but thinking about uh, with today's topic of uh, holiday uh, role playing uh, and tying it to kind of something, so. Uh, I loved how, uh, back in the day, uh, Marvel Comics, it seemed, would have Christmas, you know, issues, right? So, you know, Chris Claremont and John Byrne had a couple of, of, uh, X Men that, you know, they were celebrating, uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and, you know, then Mayhem occurs right (laughs) or uh spider-man is uh you know doing some shopping as peter parker and then you know the rhino comes running downtown and now he has to go and save the shoppers as spider-man right so i love superheroes and and doing a christmas spin on superheroes so uh i would love to see you know uh i don't have a i don't have a a published module in mind but I'd love to to design a uh, a short one-shot scenario for something superhero based you know I, um I you know I had a long campaign back in the day with the Marvel superheroes uh game it was a ton of fun I really enjoyed it but I also loved the uh, first and second edition of the DC Heroes system and I love Chaosium's uh, Superworld, uh, so I I think I think now if I was to write it now, I think I would probably do it for Superworld. But I think it'd be great to to kind of you know have a a holiday based you know superhero adventure where your your family your superhero family is preparing to enjoy the holidays, and then you know something dark and foreboding uh, occurs and Threatening to to you know take Christmas off the calendar, so you gotta gotta get your heroes out there to save them. The other thing that I think would be a lot of fun is H.P. Lovecraft. As a writer, he loved Christmas. He wrote poems about Christmas. He just he he loved the holiday. I think it would be great to uh, do a Call Cthulhu. Based scenario with a, a Krampus creature yeah. that's you know going to be uh, uh, thwarting your your holiday spirit, you know, because the Krampus you could you could definitely do a uh, a version of a ghoul, you know, almost like this beefed up elder ghoul as as a Krampus and having it you know trying to steal children from. From uh, the rich people, you know, in fact, kids have gone missing from this, you know, uh, rich neighborhood, and the police are baffled, and uh, your your investigators, you know, step in and are in the right – they're the right people in the right place at the right time to to uh, do that investigation.
1: I like it. Yeah, there, there's something about mixing uh – Cthulhu and, and, and Christmas that makes you not want to open the presents, you know? <laughs> you just, what's in that box, man? I don't know. I don't know.
4: What's Honestly. in that box?
3: Well, whatever it is, is, going to
2: insane. <laughs> I, I love the idea of a superhero Christmas story. I think uh, the feel-good uh, storyline of superhero adventures goes hand-in-hand with the Christmas stories. So it, it's a great opportunity, but all that said, so I was a champions guy, so that was my thing. But, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, definitely that, that silver, bronze age uh, altruism yeah. kind of thing. That, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I remember, yeah. like, the F- Fantastic Four, I remember there being a couple comics where they were, you know, celebrating their holidays and then, you know, all hell broke loose and they had to deal with it. And Yeah. I,
2: I, yeah, especially, good. you know, if you use, like, a, a, even more so, like, an anti-hero character can be very, you know, um, we can you can slide back into a little bit more of the, you know, The the reason for the season kind of thing, right? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I I think that fits perfectly.
1: All right. I don't know if you're ready for it or not, John, but we're heading into the last segment of the show, which is Geek Credit. Hey, hey, you. Do you have any Geek Credit? All right. Geek Credit. And uh, tonight, uh, he's been a good sport, and John's going to be on the hot seat, and we, uh, we've got some questions for him. Uh, so, how you feeling? You feeling lucky?
4: I, I, I'm not feeling lucky, so <laughs> I'm going to preface by saying, hopefully, listeners will just uh, take into account everything that I've said before in this uh, in this episode, and and just trust that I'm uh, I kind of know what I'm talking about because I'm gonna <laughs> I'm totally going to lose my uh, key credit uh, on this, but let's give it a shot. All right. Now, so the
1: rules are you you get five questions. Uh, They're supposed to be multiple choice questions. And uh, if you can get three of them correct, then you uh, succeed in having your geek credit tonight. Uh, Edwin, would you like to start the festivities?
3: I would love to start. And I need to give a uh, little shout-out to Paul Fricka for some help on these. Um, Oh, boy. Yep. So I have – uh, I, I just am not a rule follower so I don't have multiple choice. You just either know it or you don't, John. You ready? <laughs> Number one.
0: <laughs> it's an ambush.
3: Um. So uh, Lovecraft once snuck into the first Baptist church in Providence to play a tune on the organ. Can you name that tune?
4: Oh my god. Um. I'm going to say Chopsticks. Yes. Is it really? We have no we have bananas. No, it's not. No, no.
3: Yes, we have no bananas.
4: <laughs> yes, we have no bananas. Oh, I missed that. I, I thought it was chopsticks. I forgot because I, I was. Uh, they kicked You've been to that off church. Necro- I was in that church. They kicked off Necronomicon, and they even played, yes, we have no bananas on the organ.
1: <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I got to say, I, I had no idea, but I was thinking of the Simpsons episode where they tricked the organist into playing in a god That was going through my mind. <laughs> You go All next? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go next. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth here. Uh, we just got done talking about comics, and you had mentioned uh, in your email with us uh, that you have kind of a purveyor of the, the 70s and 80s comics. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you remember this one. I know I do. But uh, there's an often-remembered episode of Spider-Man and Friends, which I know is a cartoon, not a comic, but but it's you'll, you'll get where I'm going here. Uh, so this, this kind of famous episode... Uh, Spider-Man is facing the chameleon. And the chameleon creates trouble for him by posing as Nick Fury, but because he had copied Nick's uh, visage from a photograph, his eye patch was on the wrong side, right? Because, you know, the whole photograph reversing kind of thing. Uh, and right. that's how Spider-Man's like, ah, no, that's not the real Nick Fury. So, uh, the, the question here is, are you as clever as Peter Parker? And to prove it, uh, you got to tell us which one of Nick Fury's eyes in the original comics, okay, back in the, the 70s and 80s, was covered with an eye patch? Now, this is from his own perspective. Which one of his eyes, from his own perspective, has the eye patch, sir?
4: So, Left if, or I right? am, if I am Nick Fury, which one of my eyes has a patch on it? That is correct. Well, I have a 50-50 shot at this, uh, unless it was his psychic eye, and then it was the third one. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say not that one. And um, alive. I'm gonna say the right eye.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It is the left. The oh, left see, eye I Fury told you. I covered.
4: preface this. I'm gonna suck at this. I, I, I'll
1: tell you what. I, I'll, I'll give you, i give you a chance to redeem this question. Um, why is it covered uh and let me uh, let me back that up here a minute um we'll go fifty fifty again is he missing the eye or does he just have bad vision out of it in the original version
4: if i remember right i think he he lost the eye when he was a soldier so I think it's missing
1: ah sorry man supposedly it's uh he he got uh got some shrapnel in it or whatever and he can only see about five percent out of it it's he's still got some vision but it's just really really terrible
4: Oh, uh, see i knew he had the shrapnel but i thought it took out i the say, I'd give, I'd give you oh, part right, the right. for, for the, this for the,
3: how it how it happened yeah yeah <laughs> all
1: right that, that'll <laughs> be on the fence we, we may bump that over to a point for you here uh edwin back <laughs> to you all
3: right so um another question about uh mr hp Uh, HP loved ice cream. What was his favorite flavor? Oh, my God. You You got a
1: multiple choice on that form.
3: I would be happy to do a multiple choice. Are you ready? I'm ready. A. Strawberry. B. Vanilla. C. Chocolate chip. D.
4: Coffee. Hmm. Well, statistically speaking, <laughs> vanilla is the most popular ice cream flavor, and as much as I love uh, Lovecraft's uh, literary work, he was a raging racist, and so I'm you want that, to you, awesome. you lean towards <laughs> vanilla, but I think I'm going to go outside the bounds and say chocolate chip. <sighs>
3: So in a 1931 letter to Vernon Shea, I gave you good odds. He stated his favorites were vanilla and coffee. So you had a 50% chance there.
1: A bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one point on. All right. <laughs> All right you're back in my uh, I, go, I go
4: back to my earlier comments. <sighs> <laughs>
1: oh, boy. Uh, it's a wonder we get anyone to be on this program. <laughs> right. So uh, we're back to the the, the realm of uh, superheroes here. I didn't know if you were a Marvel guy or a DC guy. Do, do you have a preference?
4: You know, when I was growing up, I was a Marvel guy. Uh, as a as a as an old man, I'm a DC guy. So or an indie guy. I read a lot of indie comics now, but uh, but back in the day, it was Marvel all the way.
1: Well, this this is on the DC side of things. I, I wasn't sure, so I, I want to kind of split the two questions. So, which of the following DC characters, created in the '70s and '80s, is one of the only comic book characters to have two simultaneous alter egos? Okay, so there's two people that he, that this character is at the same time. It didn't like one of these deals where you know one guy died off and now another guy's the alter ego or whatever. Uh, Both at the same time. Uh, So these are your choices for this comic book character. Uh, Two alter egos, simultaneous. Is it the Huntress, Black Lightning, Firestorm, or Dawnstar?
4: Uh, Okay, this one I do have. So Firestorm is... uh, Gosh, What are the the professor and then the kid? Yeah, but yes, Firestorm is the combo of the two people.
1: Very good. Yeah, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Professor uh, Martin Steen or Stein. I'm not real sure how you. How yeah, I think steam. it's Martin
4: Stein. Yeah. Stein.
1: Okay. Yeah. Very good. You got a point there too. So we're, we got two That's points. You got to get this third one, man. It's all well, I do. I
3: do have a I do have a bonus question if we need oh, to okay. shovel them out of the hole. Sure, oh, good. Sure. Um, so. It's uh, the Exactly, in the giving spirit. Uh, 100 years ago, Lovecraft had seven stories published. Can you name one of them?
4: 1921. 1921. Um, I am going to say, man, a shot in the dark. Uh, I'm going to go with um, Color Out of Space.
3: That is not on this particular list of. That's probably not, di- not seven 1921. stories. Yeah, so I could give you the uh, publications. I don't know if that will get you there. We have the United Amateur. We have uh, the Wolverine number nine, the Wolverine number 11, the United Cooperative, the Tryout. The National Amateur, and oh, that's the tryout again. So, a couple publications. I don't know if that hints helps you at all.
4: Mm, no, because I, I, know, I know, I know, um, uh, uh, oh, what was the satire publication? That's what uh, Reanimator was published in, was through a satire magazine. It's not a big title. Yeah.
3: So, all right, I'm going to slip over here to the bonus question. This is a tough one, though. Are you ready? Yep. On the website Drive Through RPG, how many products does famed author John Hook have <laughs> as author?
4: <laughs> I I don't know. Um, I knew you wouldn't know that one. Because awesome. <laughs> so according- I'm in something I don't know. Uh, Do you have a guess? I'm gonna say
3: twelve. That's pretty good. So, according to Paul, twenty-eight have used an author.
4: Twenty-eight! Oh my yep. god!
1: <laughs> gotta oh, be starting hilarious. to ask for where your royalties are, man.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh man! That's funny. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, all right. Paul. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, given Check that most of those were not uh, multiple choice, and, and you did have that Nick Fury had, had lost his eye in the war or had damaged his eye in the war, we'll call it. We'll, we'll see you get your credit You know tonight. what I should
3: have done? I feel bad. I should have done a wait, wait, don't tell me thing, and I should have given you all of those stories as multiple choice and then anyone you would have chosen uh. would have been right. That would have been the nice <laughs> thing to do. <laughs>
4: dumb it down for me. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, guys, uh, man, I, you know, we're at uh, almost uh, two hours and 40 minutes. I'll be about two thirty by the time we, we spin that down for a uh, release on the, on the interwebs here. Uh, it has been a great hangout with you all. Uh, John, thank you so much for being with us tonight.
4: Oh my God. I had a fantastic time. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you guys. It was great to meet you guys. So thank you all so much. Lou, Bill, Edwin, thank you all so much.
2: Hey, this was this was a great time, guys.
3: This was a hoot. Yeah, I loved it.
1: Well, as, as you all know, you're, you're welcome to come back and host anytime. Uh, I think our next broadcast is going to be with uh, Ryan Howard of Rolling Bones. We're going to talk a little bit about Dark Sun and how it might be converted to a DCC formula. Um, um, so uh, any of you that want to be back for that you're, you're more than welcome but until then uh, folks listening thank you so much for hanging out with us and please hey send us some uh, mail I, I love it when I see we got something in the mail bag uh, this old dungeon at gmail.com don't forget to go out and support everybody here uh, Pace Setter Games, God Games John Hook who's all over the place <laughs> just gotta <laughs> do, it, do a Google search uh, you'll, you'll pull up all sorts of ways you can uh, support his products uh, thank you all and uh, happy
3: thanks guys
1: thanks tonight's episode of this old dungeon is copyright 2021 We'd like to thank our special guests and remind you, the listener, that the views expressed and the opinions held are simply our own. Hey, we're here to entertain, not educate. Until next time, happy gaming.